Commodities, late night movies with Rob, Ben, and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally these projects gel, most times they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Ben. And I just wanted to call and talk about what you did. <laughs> Some honorable mentions. I, th- I thought you were going to do the whole thing because that would have been pretty awesome. The, I did not write the whole thing down, uh, but the, the whole thing is pretty great. Uh, uh, I just so, want to make sure you're, you're not going to be a dick about this. <laughs> yeah. And, and did your answering message say boyfriend? That's, That's weird. <laughs> um, some other ones I wanted to mention, honorable mentions. Um, I promise I'll have sex with you on prom night, of course, because, Ben, I do promise that. Uh, I think – I don't know when prom is. I guess I guess prom's coming up next year, near the end of the school year, right? I have no idea. I promise, I promise. you, Ben. Um, another one I wanted to mention. Uh, I, I was actually thinking of changing this one up. So it's at the beginning of the movie when Trevor Moore says to Zach Kreger, I don't even know why you do these classes. And he's like, they're not classes. They're seminars or something like that. Uh, sermons. Sermons, the, yes. Or, yeah, yeah, they're not no, sermons. Did, they're ser- seminars. Um, and And – and Zach Kricker says, and I do them because I was thinking of starting this by saying, and I do this podcast because I believe in it and I think ki- kids need to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty solid. Um, but then, of course, the one that Ben asked me uh, about right before we started, which I was – I have written down in full and I was very much looking forward. I was thinking of using it. But now since you brought it up, Ben, we should just talk about it because I think it brings up a great point that I want to get to in this episode. Uh, Trevor Moore says to Hugh Hefner – Or I should say, as we'll talk about, I think Trevor Moore says to a camera, I don't think Hugh Hefner and Trevor Moore are in that scene together. He says, I was trying to make Candace a bunny, which is why she had that seizure and I stabbed her in the face a bunch. But if I realized that she was a bunny all along, I think it's all along, then all these firemen wouldn't be trying to kill me. Uh, and Hugh Hefner has a great response. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you, son. I'm going to call security now. <laughs> <laughs> this, though, uh, everybody's seen the title of the episode. We're talking Miss March. We're talking Miss March because it's the other movie Zach Kreger has directed uh, and also co-directed this one with Trevor Moore. Uh, ben and I have done Zach Kreger's most recent movie, his second movie, Barbarian, uh, one of the best movies of the year, of the last few years, I'd say, uh, on our Patreon. So everybody go check it out. But we're finishing up Zach Kreger. This is a short one. We got Barbarian and Miss March. Now, Ben, if you remember, and uh, anybody who has listened to our Patreon episode on it, or, you know, even go subscribe to our Patreon to get access to that great discussion of how excellent that movie is, I brought up the fact that if Trevor Moore was still alive, he should have played the Keith role, the Bill Skarsgård role in the first act of that movie. And... I think there's a lot that Trevor Moore is doing in his in his performance in Miss March that is more towards the comedy angle. Of course, it's a comedy movie, more towards the sketch comedy stuff of Whitest Kids You Know. But that line of Trevor Moore doing the, that, which is why she had that seizure and I stabbed her in the face a bunch. And he's saying that and he's like, he's making his breakthrough as he calls it a little later on. Tucker, there's a bunny deep down inside each and every woman. They're just not bunnies you'd put in your magazine. No, they're not. But if you can see the bunny in those girls, then you're onto something, my friend. I think I get it. I was trying to turn my girlfriend into a Playboy bunny, and that's why she had that seizure and I stabbed her in the face a bunch. But if I just realized she was a bunny, 
and none of these firemen would be trying to kill me. I gotta be honest with you, I'm gonna call security. Okay, Mr. Hefner, thanks for the talk. I'm like, this is it. This is the moment, like, this is the reserved line delivery, even though they're, of course, very different, you know, lines of dialogue, that I think he exactly could have brought to Barbarian. You know, him saying something like, you found a room with a bed and a bucket, you know? And it's like, there is a sense of comedy there, but very dry comedy. And I thought that was, like, the exemplar from this movie. And I was like, that's it, Trevor Moore. That's what you could have done for Barbarian, and it would have been great. (laughs) I agree. That that is, I, I think most of his delivery throughout the rest of the movie probably would not fit in barbarian no uh, no um, <laughs> it's very it's very wide as kid you know uh yes. this movie feels uh almost like a collection of wide as kid you know sketches definitely yeah it, it definitely comes across as you know sketch comedy it's very much shot like a sketch comedy thing I, I, while we're on the topic of trevor moore of course i think one of the funniest people ever we've mentioned it before unfortunately he died last year maybe two years ago i'm sorry i don't have that timeline but you're absolutely right I I found that one line in the Hugh Hefner scene that I was like, that's it. That's what he could have brought, you know? The rest of this movie, Trevor Moore is choosing... His performance is, like, incredibly emphatic and just full of, you know, facial expression and over-enunciation, I think. Like, I'm thinking of the scene where he's talking, he's telling Zach, uh, Craig, or Eugene in this movie about what happened with him and Candace and why they had to get out of town. And there's that, you know, look to the camera, and he, like, almost, like, dislocates his jaw saying, so then I stabbed her in the face, you know? <laughs> and, <laughs> and his mouth is, is like, he, he does a lot with the movement and, you know, of the, the physical, the physicality of his face. And I have to say, Ben, since we're on the topic of Whitest Kids You Know, it comes across to me as the louder and with your mouth open sketch from that show. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that's exactly what I was thinking of when you were describing it. Detective Murphy, I just got here. What's the story? Well, we got multiple stab wounds on the victims, and there's obvious signs of a struggle from the upstairs bedroom down. Looks to me like a lover's quarrel that turned ugly. Real ugly. I'm going to have to disagree with your detective work, though. I'd say it looks like we've got a serial killer. Think it's our guy? Matches his M.O. Look at how the head barely hangs on by the flesh of the neck. Hands and feet are completely removed. Entire body's wrapped in its own intestines. Man, I could have sworn it was a lover's quarrel. Rookie mistake. The worst part is the man's two kids saw the whole thing. They watched as their own father was brutally murdered and sodomized right in front of their very eyes. It's things like that that just make you want to throw down your badge and find this gutless scum off the books. Cut, 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 good, good. good. That That was really flowing for me. I was feeling it. I thought it was great. Uh, Roger, can I give you a note real quick? Sure. Uh, I thought it was fantastic. Thanks. I'm going to try it again. Okay. Um, I want you to think this time, you know, you, this is not just a job for your character. Being a police officer is an obsession. Right. You know, when you were a kid, you watched your own parents brutally murdered, okay? So, so we're going to bring that fire and that rage up a little bit more in this one, yeah? Okay. I want you to do it again. I want you to do it uh, happier and with your mouth open. What? Yeah, happier and with your mouth open, okay? I love it. I love it. You're doing great. Uh, People, top of page 20 by lunch. That's the goal. Let's roll camera! Action. Detective Murphy, just got here. What's the story? 
Well, we got multiple stab wounds on the body. There's obvious signs of a struggle from the upstairs down. Looks to me like it was a lover's quarrel that turned ugly. Real ugly. I'm going to have to disagree with your detective work. I'd say it looks like we've got a serial killer. You think this was our guy? Matched his M.O. See how the head barely hangs on by the flesh of the neck? Cut, he cut. Yeah, I don't think Rick. this is the way, I don't feel like this Roger, is Roger, you're doing a great job. You're doing a great job. Mitchell, real quick, if I may. Um, I'm loving it, loving every frame of it. It's great. I want to try it again. Uh, I want to try it with a bit more fire. You know, your character's seen it all. He's a tough cop, been on the force for years, but one thing that really drives him crazy is when harm comes to children. That's what we got here, right? So, so he could do anything. We don't know. I want that unpredictability. You know, you're virile, right? So we're going to do it again, and this time we're going to go even, even happier and with your mouth open, okay? Mr. Sheldon, can we talk about this? You're going to be great. You're going to be great. Roger. Yeah, I have a question. Happier, mouth open even more. What? All right, team, time is money. I don't have to tell you that. Let's roll that camera. Action. Detective Murphy, I just got here. What's the story? Well, we got multiple stab wounds on the bodies. Seems like there was a struggle from the upstairs down. Seems to me like it was a lover's quarrel that turned ugly. Real ugly. I'm going to have to disagree with your detective. Cut, cut, and... cut. This is not right. What? It's, it's not working. Yes, yeah, it's, it's not yeah. working. It's not working. Okay. We gotta fix it. Yes, yeah. thank you. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay, Roger, we're gonna do it again. Forget all. Forget everything, okay? Good. Done. Uh, mm -hmm. Clean slate. Kay. We're going to do this completely way, 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 way happier. Your mouth is going to be way, 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 way more open, okay? Just big time. Mitchell, I want to see you happier with your mouth open. You guys are on the same page. That's why we're a team. I love it. This is going to be magic. Everybody, this is the money shot. I feel it in my bones. Roll that camera. Action. great for this film. I think Trevor Moore is, is maybe my favorite performance in the whole movie because he's going for it. <laughs> even though he's going to die, Tucker Clay? Uh, yes, Tucker Clay in this movie, even though he's going to die. I, I would think, I would say my other favorite performance in this movie is uh, Craig Robinson as horsedick.mpeg. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, well, I mean, you can't, you can't mention horsedick.mpeg without talking about how he responds to being called horsedick. Don Impey. <laughs> <laughs> I love that they keep that going throughout the whole movie. That even you know, even Trevor Moore says it when Eugene will just be like, "Horse stick." Don Impey. Don Impey can get us into the Playboy Mansion, right? You know. <laughs> well, it, it's because uh, Horse Stick. Don Impey actually refers to himself just as Horse Stick at, at times. Yes. And doesn't correct himself, <laughs> um, which I which is interesting. But yeah, that's some some funny shit. Uh, we also we also have to talk about. I, I, I'm actually. 
let me let me set it up this way. On the topic of horsestick.mpeg, he's he's this rapper. He's like one of the most famous rappers. They play his song on uh, Monday Night love Football. A life, <laughs> yes, the radio edit. So Ben knows this. I think I've mentioned it on this podcast before. We're actually getting pretty close to the time of the year. Um, every year, I keep track of every single song, every single track that I you know listen to and add to my library type of thing. And at the end of the year, I rank them all. I do my top fifty. Uh, I did never. I never knew this before, Ben, but. Uh, in preparation for this recording, I found that Craig Robinson himself, as Horstick.mpeg, actually did make a studio version of White Bitch for this movie. It's 90 seconds long. Uh, you can find it on YouTube. If you type in Miss March, I'm a fuck a white bitch, you, you can listen to it. And it is the full track of that song. Now, I have never added this to my hard drive before. I've never added this to my collection of music. Spoiler alert for later, that's the song I'm going to want to play in reverse at the end of this episode. So technically, this song will be added to my hard drive this year, and I must consider it for my top 50. I'm easily thinking it's going to be number four or five. It's that good, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm surprised that you're not telling me that he made a studio version of Suck My Dick While I Fuck You in the Ass. I did not look that one up but i i will look it up as i'm editing this to see if i can find it um, because that that is also i'm just like there's something craig robinson is going for it in this movie as horse dick.mpeg and just that whole thing suck my dick while i fuck that ass hey and it just goes on for so long <laughs> and there's eugene's like this song doesn't even make sense yeah. <laughs> and yeah what and chuck tucker's like what are you talking about man this song's awesome <laughs> Well, I, I think my favorite part of that scene is is after it's so after they're done recording the song and and Horstick.mpeg is like, but you think they're gonna get the message, right? Oh yes, yes. <laughs> and the fact that when he's he's filming that music video, it ends with the sh- the low angle shot of him putting his hand out, going respect. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. But are they gonna get the message? Oh man. So. You know, that that if if I had chosen to start this episode with, uh, you know, and I do this podcast because I believe in it and I think the kids need to hear it, I would have immediately went into I'm a fuck a white bitch. I'm a fuck a white bitch because <laughs> the kids, they need to hear it. They need to hear I'm, it, Ben. I'm a love a white girl. <laughs> did you change the words? This is the radio friendly edit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fucker.
Um, okay, so we're talking Miss March. We're talking Zach Kreger, Trevor Moore, Whitest Kid You Know. Talking this raunchy comedy movie. 2009? 2009, yeah. Uh, that was so, the year I graduated high school. Right on, right on. Uh, I I think you and I both saw it way back in the day. I think I did not see it like in theaters or in 2009. I probably caught it like an undergrad, maybe in like 2011 type of thing. Did you see it pretty like close to when it came out, or is this something you found a little later? I saw it the year it came out. Oh, I think I had a, a uh, like a bootleg copy of it. I remember watching it in... Uh, in my room, you know, that I lived in when I was uh, in high school. Sure. And I like I remember like sitting at my computer watching this movie because I didn't really have a good setup <laughs> back then. Oh, so, yeah. Like sitting in a computer chair <laughs> watching a movie at a computer, which is a, a weird experience. But but no, I definitely uh, I definitely remember this movie quite quite a bit, quite fondly. Even uh, I watched it with my buddy Alan, who has since passed, unfortunately. OK. Um, were you both but, in the computer uh, chair? We Yes, we were in the same. Okay. computer. OK, chair. OK. <laughs> and. I don't know. It's just it. I it cracked my shit up back then. You know, it was a very, very goofy fucking movie. We had been into some wise kids, you know. Yeah. And then this movie came out, and we were like, "Well, we have to watch it." And so that's exactly how I came into it because you know I I I, I was into wise kids, you know, in high school, and I I when I eventually found out that this movie was like you know from the two main guys of wise kids, you know, it was like, oh well, same thing as you said. You gotta see it. Um, right. So now Ben and I are revisiting it, revisiting under great lens of you know the the uh, the gloriousness that is Zach Kreger's writing and directing in Barbarian. And uh, before before we give our thoughts, Ben, even though we've laughed a little bit about it, but I mean it's it's Trevor Moore. Some of the shit he does is going to be funny no matter what. Of course, I think we right. we can agree. I figured I'd read as I often like to do. Um, a, uh, a, a blurb, like a quick critic quote from this. Of course, all critics are stupid, uh, us included. But I figured I'd lay the stage with this review from the, the time the movie came out, and um, we can see how much we agree with it. So this is, comes uh, from—this was 2009. This was, like, not the start, but really when, like, the online critics were going. I think this came from realgood.com, which I don't know if exists anymore, but was a big, like, movie review and TV show review site for a while back in, like, the late 2000s, early 2010s. Uh, this comes from James Berardinelli, and he wrote, quote, This is bad. Not bad in a way that it might be fun to see when inebriated— Bad in a way from which only death provides immunity. Forget waterboarding. Just show Guantanamo detainees Miss March and they'll say anything. End quote. I always love yeah. finding these incredibly harsh reviews. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's scathing. Uh, so if, if, that's, uh, if that's a zero, uh, James Berardinelli, if that, if that baseline, the, uh, the, the, a movie from which only death provides immunity. I like that. I like that phrase. Um, if this is zero, and then, you know, ten being barbarian, let's put it on that scale, because I know you loved that movie. Uh, where would you put Miss March? And ten, ten is barbarian, you said? Yes. Ten, so ten's the high end, zero's the... Zero's the... You death know, is the only escape? Yeah, zero's you're, um, you're getting waterboarded. <laughs> uh, probably somewhere around a six. Okay, I uh, I was gonna go with five, but I could be I could be seeing a six. Ben, this movie, this movie has problems, but I find my I found myself enjoying it for quite a good bit of it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think the way that I would say it is, this movie is okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it, it's there are things about it that are good, but it, but to be honest, it came across as like, and I I I can't even fully characterize this. So hopefully, you'll understand a little bit what I mean when I say it. Like it came across as flat. Okay. Does that mean anything to you? Uh, like it, 
I, I think I know what you're saying. I was actually going to use um, it, it might it might be the uh, the opposite of flat, um, uneven. I thought that there was a lot of downtime, but when this movie hit, it hit hard. So uh, I'm just thinking, like in terms of uh, like depth in in terms of like what's going on on screen at any time. Oh, okay. Like like there's there's a lot of it's one of those like teenage movies, but it's a raunchy comedy. Yes. It's like in terms of, of, I guess, the quality of what's going on at any time, uh, aside from the fact that there are some some hella good jokes. Sure. I, I that OK. Definitely. My uneven comes from the comedy aspect of it. I, I, I think, you know, I want to talk more about that as we get into it. But you are absolutely right. There is there is not really any depth to this movie. It is fairly not fairly shallow. It is shallow. Where, you know, maybe compare this to some of the other, like, raunchy comedies. All these other raunchy comedies I'm thinking of are, like, a lot earlier. Well, um, the first American Pie in 1999 doesn't really count because no one had really seen anything like that before. And that was just, like, like people were, just went crazy for it. But have you ever seen, like, The Girl Next Door with um, uh, the, the uh, Emile Hirsch, Speed Racer himself? He like has like a girl moves in next door and he falls in love with her. Turns out she's like an ex porn star and he gets like wrapped up with her old manager and stuff like that. Does that sound familiar at all? Uh, I'm I'm aware of the movie, but I have not seen it. Okay, that's that's another like raunchy comedy. But I remember when I saw that movie. I've only seen it once a few years ago. I was like, oh, there's a lot to say here about like the adult video industry, um, about you know like the uh, the way managers are like pimps and stuff like that. Um, yeah, and, true. and there's actual depth to it. Where this movie, I, I think, I think we're in agreement with this is that it could have gone that way because Playboy has such a big involvement in this movie. But at the end, it just turns. It seems to be an advertisement for Playboy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's. Uh... I don't. I don't know if I, I would agree that it's an advertisement for Playboy, but they don't. They don't spend like the most we hear about the negative, uh, you know, sides of Playboy in this are when Zach Krieger's character Eugene is just losing his shit talking to Cindy the first time when he's tied up in the chair. Oh yes, and he's like, "You're a fucking whore. You blew everybody." Like just like saying all this shit to her, which is totally uncalled for. Yes. Okay. Um. You know, like that's the closest thing we get to a critique of anything. But he's actually not critiquing an industry or anything. He's actually critiquing like a specific person. Yeah, which, yeah. Which, which I I feel like to be honest, I don't I, I don't know about you, but that scene uh, that scene was tough for me to watch because the whole time I was like, wow, this guy's a fucking moron. Like I get that he's been in, in a coma for four years or whatever, but he is. Uh, I, I like to believe I would be more mature than that when I was in high school. I would agree. And and I also feel maybe that adds to the, the shallowness of this storyline is because I definitely felt that his anger finally bubbling up, while it's not completely void of setup earlier in the movie, he's angry at Horstick.mpeg for sleeping with, you know, Miss March, with, with, um, with Cindy. He, when it's like, well, he, he should be angry with her, you know, more of that thing. I mean— should he be though? Like he was in a coma for four years. Well, no, no. She... Uh, he sh- he should have been angry in that scene with Horstick.mpeg to make him tied to the chair scene make more sense to me. Oh, uh, he in... was angry with Horstick. No, he should be. He should not be angry with Horstick. Oh. He should be angry with Cindy. Sorry if I if I okay. switch those because okay. because he just seems angry at everybody that he's in a coma when the the scene calls for it. Where I would have liked uh, he, more build-up to make that him being angry at Cindy and getting punched in the face by the bouncer to not have come out of completely nowhere. Okay, I I took it as like him being angry at 
the the entirety of the situation and that she had not been faithful to him. So like I wouldn't have been surprised if he was angry at Horstick and her. So like I don't I don't feel like his anger came entirely out of nowhere, but the intensity of it came out of nowhere. Sure, sure, absolutely. And, and I would have liked some more build up to that type of thing. Sure, yeah. yeah. Because I mean, there's even the scene when when Trevor Moore uh, when Tucker finds you know gets the issue and shows um, Eugene that it's like oh wife we found Cindy you know she's in Playboy, like he he's like all sad he's like do you think she's still a virgin and then you know trevor moore's like mm, nah but then there's like another shot where he's like looking lovingly at her photos and stuff like that but it's all silent and i would have liked him you know maybe to be like oh i'm gonna take these photos out of my wallet instead of looking them longingly you know it, it seems a little emotionally mismatched with the intensity of the sadness of the anger and all that stuff sure uh yeah i i can agree with that uh i will say that i don't think that those emotions are mismatched with who he is and what his character has gone through at the time. Like, I think it would make sense for his emotions to bounce all over the place. Mm-hmm. Like at one moment, be missing her at another moment, be angry that she wasn't there at another moment, like be upset that she probably slept with other people in the meantime. Like I, I can totally see all of that, all those bouncing around emotions, but for, for them to manifest in him just being like, you're a slut and you sucked every dick you came across. Sure, sure. I was like, that is, that is too much. <laughs> um, no, I'm, with you, I'm with you, yeah. But I'm reminded of actually that scene in Clerks where he's like, try not to suck any dicks on your way to your car or whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'm with you. And, and you know, I think th- this is one of the big things, The like the theme of this movie. It's not even a theme. It's so shallow. It's just what happens to our characters. Like, you know, the arc yeah. of, of Zach Kreger is to be like, oh, I, I was an asshole. Like when I found out that, you know, she was paying all my medical bills and that I, I shouldn't care if she like sucked every dick she could. I still love her because he has that line to Horstick, which uh, or dot mpeg, um, at the end when you know he's like, I'm not upset at, with, I'm not like mad or upset anymore. Like you might have fucked her, but we had a relationship, you know. And it's like, okay, I get what they're going for. That's a common you know arc I think of of the teenage raunch comedy. So I get it, but it's just kind of like, okay, it seems like a little more just jammed in there type of thing. Well. And it's unclear at the end whether she really did do much sleeping around. Um, <laughs> yeah, we because, just know she didn't sleep with Horstick.mpeg. Yeah. Right, yeah. The only person that we've specifically heard say that he did sleep with her lied. Um, so it's really unclear whether she slept with anyone else or not. Mm-hmm. But the idea of him being like, you had to wait for four years not knowing if I was going to wake up. Like, that is just some insane shit. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm with uh, you. I'm with you. Absolutely. And like that's I, I like to believe that it, even in high school, I would have been like four years is a long time. Like, I'm surprised you're not married. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> um, you know, maybe I'm a little grateful if I if we even want to resume this, which that's something else that's that's pretty weird. And they they could have explored but didn't uh, is the fact that he would have been emotionally in the same place, which she would not have been even remotely. Definitely. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So. But uh, but she was faithful. I mean, paying his medical bills and, you know. Right. Doing what she could to pay the medical bills, you know, it 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 does that. I think all these raunchy teen comedies, it, raunchy comedies, it doesn't really have to be teen. Uh, I think it's more present in the teen oriented ones or the younger oriented ones. They always have to have some wholesome heart to it, you know. They they always have to get those in there because that's just part of the genre, it seems. And and I think that you know it would have been interesting to see something from Zach Kreger and Trevor Moore. That was subverting that, you know, I think maybe like a lot of the subversion we get in Barbarian. Um, but that, that's why I think, you know, the, the, that, you know, arc of his character, of Eugene in this movie, 
I think like a lot of the uh, the comedy, a lot of the way that the plot just kind of moves along. Um, when I was watching this, uh, before I did my research, I was watching this and I was like, a lot of this comes across to me as a writing exercise. And what I mean by that is, you know, I think I said it to you back in the day once, Ben, like years ago, where I was like, I don't really care for Family Guy that much, but I think like sitting down and saying like, I'm, I want to write a Family Guy episode is an interesting writing exercise because Family Guy is so formulaic that, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, it's also uh, another thing. You sit down and write a Law & Order episode because, you know, you know by, you know, the 10-minute mark you have to have the red herring um, suspect. By the 15-minute mark or 17-minute mark you have to have the real suspect. And it's very formulaic. And so it comes across as a writing exercise. For Craig uh, and Moore, I got the sense where I was like, a lot of this plot, the comedy and the plot me- machinations come across to me as a writing exercise because it seemed like they just had the idea for a gag and then they would have Tucker be so blindingly oblivious that the gag would just have to happen. <laughs> you know, and, and even they even throw that away at a certain point when the lesbians in the car show up and it's just like. That's that's just going to happen now. There's not even like, you know, some some basic way of them just pushing along the plot. You know what I mean? Um, are, are you talking about the fact that the lesbians are just like, we're going to have sex in the backseat while you drive? The, the fact that they, they are just walking down the road and the lesbians just show up and say, you know, we want to have sex and you're going to drive type of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So everything no, else I... is at least set up like he he stabs candace so they have to get out of there early they know horsestick.mpeg so they have to get to chicago horsestick.mpeg is this braggadocious fool who then he gets uh, eugene gets angry at so they get kicked out like everything does have small connections except right. for the lesbian thing and that's the one where i'm just like that's raunch for raunch's sake yeah yeah definitely uh it definitely feels you know out of left field but the the thing where you said like they're they're kind of connected like that is what made me feel like this was I was watching sketch comedy sure because sure. It, it just was like well now it's time for the next sketch and like how it's connected <laughs> is very loosely relevant absolutely I the the scene that I, I really started to think this in um, was when they they um are escaping I think they have just escaped the firefighters or whatever for the first time and they get stupid to stupid firefighters <laughs> can't turn their trucks around yeah can't turn their trucks around uh that's one of my but favorite they... things i say that a lot right on. <laughs> <laughs> stupid firemen can't turn their trucks around <laughs> but they get to a gas station and um you know uh eugene says something like i don't really want to go in there you know like in this you know dressing gown from the hospital and so he's like can you get me some clothes and and Tucker's like, okay, sure, just fill her up while I'm in there. And he's like, I can't do that. I have atrophy. And it's so, like I said, Trevor Moore's character is so blindingly oblivious at certain points that it's just like, I feel like they had the idea for the gag where, you know, Eugene was going to stumble around and spray gasoline everywhere and shit his pants for the millionth time or whatever. And they would be like, well, how do we get him out to spray gasoline everywhere and how do, how do we put him in that slapstick situation oh mm-hmm. it, it, tucker's just dumb just let tucker be dumb you know <laughs> well i i would agree with you wholeheartedly if it weren't for the fact that like during the first couple minutes of this movie or the first the first couple minutes after eugene wakes up we we just constantly see tucker throwing things at him yes. as as if yes. he can catch <laughs> um That's true. so it appears that like 
the same way he can't understand that epilepsy, uh, the seizures can be caused by strobe lights. <laughs> Like he just can't understand what atrophy actually is. Sure, sure. I, I'm not. Uh, I, it's definitely or how not long like, it should last. I guess. Absolutely. I mean, it, it definitely is. Um, it, it it is set up. It's there. That's that's Tucker's character. You know, is that he's very self centered. He's very oblivious. But I mean, I it just feels like a a weird, like very loose, sinewy connection for a a. Like you said, maybe loosely connected for sketches. I, th- I like that way to put it, where it's like, oh, you have like you have this character, you have the joke you want to do, just do the bare minimum to get to that joke you need to do, and that that's where I think it comes across a little writing exercisey, in the sense that maybe another way to put it is that it's like maybe a, a first draft. They could have fleshed it out a little bit better to give it some depth or something along those lines. Well, I'm actually kind of curious what your thoughts are on like, um, I know that that Krager directed multiple sketches that I think were connected. Sure. Um, do you think that, that this movie could have been watched as a series of like, I don't know, 12 sketches? Ooh, that's interesting. May- maybe because, uh, you know, I, uh, the, the thing that comes to mind, of course, is um, he directed civil war on drugs, which aired as what, like eight minute chunks at the end of every episode of uh, season five of whitest kids, you know, mm-hmm. that I didn't really think about that, but that's interesting. Like, what if this movie was broken up into like 10 different chunks that aired at the end of episodes of sketch shows? I think it might, some of the things might work better because then you would have one segment be the lesbian scene and it would be like, that's, that's just crazy. There's just lesbians and it's funny. And then right. Trevor Moore keeps driving into shit on the road, which is a good gag, you know? And right. it wouldn't seem so just displaced from the rest of the story. Right. Um, and, and I think another one that would do really well is like whenever that, um, crystal flies out of the bus, Yeah, like that would be hilarious as a sketch comedy thing. Um, I mean, even as it is in the movie, it's pretty good. And it, it, it's one of those things that catches you off guard in that it's not entirely, um, choreographed or telegraphed, but it's not something that is like, that is as outlandish as the lesbian thing. Uh, (laughs) so I don't know. Um, I'm just I I just think that like maybe this movie is a little bit a product of the fact that he had only worked with sketches before. I I would agree. And so so with both uh, with what we just said, man, now after I watched it, I started doing some research because unfortunately, this movie will forever be lost to time. I I, I did you have to rent it? I, I don't think it's streaming I anywhere. I okay. did. It was like 3.99 even to rent. It's one of those movies where they're like if you want to watch this movie, you want to watch it bad enough to pay four dollars. Yeah, yeah, because uh, nobody else wants to watch it. Exactly, and because it's lost to time, because it is a Fox picture, so this is now technically a Disney movie, and uh, oh. Dis- Disney will never, never let this tarnish their image. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so technically, Horsedick.mpeg is a Disney princess. I guess we should say that. Um, but but anyway, so I was like, there's no and- the, the lesbians are Disney princesses <laughs> the, too. The les- yes. <laughs> Um, so I, I was not only is this movie kind of like lost to the history of time, uh, even before Disney bought Fox, because this did not get the best reception, like I mentioned from that quote earlier. But so I, I tried to do some digging. And unfortunately, a lot of like the reviews at the time that they did with like Vanity Fair and stuff are pretty much like lost and dead and stuff like that. And okay. I don't know, someone has to fucking the Wayback Machine used to be a really good tool. I, I know I mentioned it on on an Adventure Time episode, everybody check out our Patreon, that it's just so hard to navigate, and I think something's off with the timing, and so I, I, it might be archived on there, but I couldn't find it. So I'm, I'm reading, like, a lot of, like, old anecdotal forum stuff and, and things like that. 
Um, but from what I did find, uh, this was originally a story by a group of three people that didn't really do too much else in terms of writing. Um, they ended up, you know, had this this teen comedy, this raunchy comedy. They sold it to Fox. And Fox actually approached Zach Kreger and Trevor Moore and said, hey, would you want to make this? Um, this was oh. two, this was uh, this would have been maybe 2008 because this comes out in thankfully March of 2009. I was going to be so upset if this movie did not come out in March. Um, that would have sure. that would have bothered me. But so in 2008, this must have been, and you know, this was when Whitest Kids You Know was round, uh, winding down because Whitest Kids You Know ended in the summer of 2009. I'm pretty sure. But Whitest Kids You Know was insanely popular. Uh, I it was like IFC is one of IFC's biggest shows. So Fox goes to them and they're like, "Hey, would you want to do this movie?" And um, Zach Craig and Trevor Moore were not really interested. They were like, "Uh, you know, this seems a little like not really in our wheelhouse." Like, I who knows what that original script looked like that they got handed. Um, but they eventually decide to take it on, and they say. As a writing exercise. <laughs> oh. So I had in my notes, I was like, this feels like a, this feels like a formulaic writing exercise, you know? And I, I, was, I was happy to see that quote from them. But of course, they took it, they worked on it. Um, the, the three guys in the opening credits of this movie, whose names I don't have written down, they are credited for story by, but uh, Craig and Moore get screenplay by. So they really, you know, did uh, revamped it and stuff like that. Uh, there's some there's some stuff that they ended up doing in the in the process I think with Playboy that I want to get to but one of the most uh, recent things I could find and things that I think are you know actually I was able to find some good you know uh, sources for because it it's it was in the last few years this movie got horrible reviews almost universal like maligned you know type of thing uh, like we said only death provides immunity um but in the years since its release and especially after whitest kids you know ended Craiger and Moore have talked about it they've they've always been very you know uh jovial about it uh back when Trevor Moore was still alive and the whitest kids you know were streaming they had like a twitch channel where they would do like some improv stuff um you can actually watch them going back and reading bad reviews of miss march and and they laugh about it and there's a few instances where they'll read something really scathing i, I don't couldn't find if they read the um James Berardinelli review, but they'll read something really scathing, and the, and you know they have very different dynamics. But Craiger will be like, you know, I kind of agree with this review. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's the thing I found most interesting is that Zach Craiger has been critical of the movie. Um, he's he's like it didn't really come out. I think the way we wanted it, and that, I think that ties into some of the Playboy stuff I found. Um, but he he saw he says he's like I'm still glad we did it though because it really was the first time that I got to start to learn how to make a movie. And uh, and boy, howdy, did he learn, because 13 years later, he makes one of the most fantastically shot movies of all time in Barbarian. Trevor Moore was a little different, a little less critical. He defended the movie, and he was kind of like, hey, we made a movie. It's ours. We should own it. And um, he actually compared it to the Whitest Kids You Know sketch comedy, which uh, I think oh. you know you were saying, and, I, and I, why I find it uneven. Trevor Moore said, quote, some parts are funny. Some parts aren't. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I, I can get behind that. But that doesn't that doesn't bother me in, in a movie like this from The Whitest Kid You Know or from people who do sketch comedy because I love sketch comedy so much. And with very few exception, I mean, maybe like a certain season of Mr. Show uh, with Bob and David do I think it's perfect. But that's just the nature of the beast with sketch comedy. It's the shotgun approach. Some of it's going to be funny and some of it's not. That's that's just how it's going to come across, right? No, I yeah, I mean, I agree. That's 
uh, even with some of that Tim Robinson stuff we, we're watching for the mm. Patreon, it's mm. like some of it is really hilarious, and some of it falls very flat and and dead. And yep. you know, um, that's just like you said, that's the nature of sketch comedy. And I very much think that that is exhibited in this movie as well, which. I did not think was a bad thing, personally. Yes, and and I also don't think it's a bad thing when when it's uneven in a sense that it's not just like one big peak or something. You know, I'm I'm a masochist, and uh, in the last few weeks, I have been trying to watch all of the Friedberg and Seltzer movies. And so, for anyone who's not familiar with those names, they're the people who make the shit like date movie, epic movie disaster movie those are movies are horrendous but like i said a masochist those movies are not uneven they just will have one really good joke at some point in the 75 minutes that they run for <laughs> oh my you God, know that's rough it is rough um date movies the best date movie actually has some interesting things but it's still like a, a very low rated but the other thing is that there's a bunch of other types of these movies like superhero movie is not friedberg and seltzer and stuff like that so and it's friedberg and seltzer never did a scary movie and there's five of those um right. but you know that that's the point i'm trying to make is that those movies are very very dumb and basic and they will do the just the the most basic thing like the lowest of the low-hanging fruit and then there will be something that I find really funny. Like, the one funny part in Disaster Movie is when uh, they're parodying Ella Enchanted. And, you know, so this woman's over the top, like, acting like, a, like a, a Disney princess type of thing. But they're like, are you from a different world? Are you a Disney princess? And she's like, no, I'm just on a lot of drugs. And then in the remainder of the scene, she, like, is so, like, zonked out that she doesn't really know what's going on. And there's a point where one of the characters says... I think you should come with us because we're going to go to this place and it's supposed to be safe so you can live. And the, and the Disney princess lady goes, okay, bye. Oh, no, wait, I'm coming with you. Sorry. <laughs> and the way it's delivered, it, and it's like, it's, it's like I, I'm, I'm, I find that so funny. It's such a strange moment. It's dangerous out there. You might want to come with us. You want to live. Okay. All right. Bye. Oh, I'm going with you. Yes, you are. But then... You know, uh, Disaster Movie does actually have Ike Barinholtz at the end show up as Beowulf, and he does say, I am Beowulf, but then it turns into a big gay joke, because Beowulf gets naked to fight our main character, and he's like, dude, you fight naked? That's gay, and it it gets so homophobic, and I'm like, listen— the only way to parody Beowulf is you have him show up and only say "I am Beowulf." That's the only parody you need. <laughs> you have him? No, you have him say "I am Beowulf" as if he's a Pokemon and that's his name. <laughs> I am. That, yes, that would be even I, better. I am. Yeah. I am Beo. Beo. <laughs> and then at some point, that's really dramatic. He says, "I am Beowulf." If, <laughs> if nobody has done that on YouTube, we got to get on animating that or something. <laughs> that is that is hilarious. But like, so those movies, those are very, those are very like, they just have a peak. And sometimes in them, the peak's not even that great, you know? Like, it's just like a, like a huh or a chuckled or something. At least uh, a movie like Miss March and another comedy, which I, 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 I like less than this movie that we did on Patreon, Dude, Where's My Car? At least those are uneven because it's not like I'm just so fucking bored and offended by the comedy for giant stretches of time. I might be, like, taken aback for a few minutes when, like, a scene is happening. Like, personally, the whole, like, horsedick.mpeg and Eugene smoking weed and, like, sharing their thoughts and getting really, like, emotional with each other. I'm not interested in that at all. I don't find any of that funny, and I really, you know, 
Oh, it definitely wasn't funny. I yeah, I don't didn't think it was supposed to be. Though. Oh, sure, but I mean, it's a down it's a downturn in the movie because I want more of the rapid comedy, but it's okay. not too long. You know, it's just a few minutes, and uh, you know, you get a uh, you get Trevor Moore coming out of the bedroom in the back, and horsedick.mpeg is like, "How was it?" And he's like, "Oh, it was, it was good." I gotta go to bed, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it picks, it picks right back up. <laughs> He's sleepy. <laughs> That's what I want for my comedy, you know. Even if it's uneven, even if it's, some parts are funny, some parts aren't, they should be interspersed in well, a way that keeps you keeps your attention. You you almost can't have all parts be funny because at some point you become desensitized. Uh, you you know what I mean? Like you're you're not gonna keep laughing constantly. That's just not – it's not very realistic. No, sure, sure. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean from empirical evidence, uh, I, I, I think I'm – of course, comedy subjective. I think I'm very lucky that I think there are two movies I've found that are constant laughter, uh, Freaked and Freddy Got Fingered. But, um, you know, those are, those are also very strange movies. <laughs> <laughs> There's a scene in Freaked where the, the main freak knocks out a milkman to dress up as him and escape because they're all, like, captured in the freak show. And it turns out that all the other freaks also knocked out milkmen and are all trying to escape. And so there's just all these characters in the same milkman outfit. And then one of them says, like, you know, hey, and they, they catch our main guy. And they're like, you know, you, you knocked out a milkman, too. And he says something like 12 milkmen on the same route is plausible. 13 is ridiculous. You know? <laughs> and so they all start fighting. And then Randy Quaid looks out the window and he there's just you can see t- like the two milk, a bunch of milkmen standing in a ring like a high school fight and two in the middle fighting. And Randy Quaid just says, that's a lot of milkmen. No <laughs> wonder they fight so much. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty solid. Oh, yeah, those those are great. But but you're right. I think also maybe something to get at with the comedy in, you know, uneven the unevenness of comedies i i think with our sensibilities ben you know i think uh you know correct me if i'm wrong like the raunch comedy isn't like our top tier type of stuff that's going to make us laugh like the whole milkman story i just said is just absurd and that's what's going to get me 100 percent of the time you know yeah, when you get to it, like all these sex jokes and we got poop jokes in this the poop jokes yeah, in particular yeah. i i like there th- there were some of them that were okay because they were situational as well mm-hmm. where it's like this dude is actually feed and he can't control his bowels and that's a reasonable thing to be happening right now but then there were times where they, they like took it too far dragged it out too long and it was like okay like you know it, it's it's poop it's not highbrow exactly yeah we- exactly <laughs> yeah i mean and i think you know just the uh the raunch like like i did like parts of the lesbian scene like i said you know trevor driving into shit on the side of the road because he's getting distracted is very funny i love the fact that they just always call them lesbians like even in the car like not only in the car but when you know uh tucker's running from the fireman in the playboy mansion he runs into them he goes lesbians help me break down this door or something like that you know yes yes he does refer to them as lesbians (laughs) repeatedly i found it uh i don't know very strange I, i at first it was like okay this is uh maybe maybe a little bit like on the offensive side sure and then on, on after a while, I was like, "This is this is maybe is actually kind of funny." I I found it funny because it's just they just keep saying it, you know, like they don't yeah. give up on it for sure. <laughs> yeah, it was like I don't know, maybe uh, what maybe the fourth or fifth time, I'm just like, okay, yeah, like, yeah, this is even coming around, even when it happens in moments where he does not need to be referring to them by any 
proper noun, which he's using it in this case, you know, any nomenclature right. for them. Like after after one of the lesbians, you know, uses her tongue to unlock the door, they get through the door and Trevor Moore, uh, uh, Tucker sees them go into a room and they close the door behind them and he goes, good thought, lesbians will hide in there. And it's like he did not need to say lesbians in that line, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's one of those things where, um, you know, it, it it's one of those versions where it goes past the rules of th- versions of comedy that goes past the rule of threes and just kind of, you know. It, it grates on you and becomes so absurd that they're doing it so much that it's kind of like, is is this funny? It's like the fact that, you know, the theory that if you listen to any song enough times, you'll eventually start to like it type of thing, you know? Sure. You'll uh, that's Stockholm actually syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> the psychological uh, name for that is mere exposure. Oh, right on. Right on. The the fact that, uh, that merely being exposed to something for long enough will make you more fond of it. Uh, and it is actually like greatest exemplified when it comes to strangers like on in public transportation it's like the people that you're used to seeing on public transportation you'll have an affinity for them which you might not recognize until there's a new person and then uh, you'll be like okay fucking this new person better watch his shit you know like he better not be bumping into <laughs> get off my know, bus yeah <laughs> better not be bumping into gray hat over there <laughs> you know so, <laughs> yeah, someone whose yeah. name you don't know anyway that's some some dumb shit but so so also in terms of the comedy um you know i definitely think this is a a like a pretty clear like three act structure of a movie like you know the whole setup uh, i'd say the first act is basically like the setup with candace with the coma um and it basically would end when they start their road trip i would say like the second act is the road trip and then the third act which i i did not remember they get to the Playboy Mansion with, like, a solid 28 minutes left in the movie. Like, there's a oh, lot yeah. at the Playboy Mansion, which I yeah. I've remembered it being a lot more in on the road trip and getting into, like, wacky antics, you know? I have to say I find the, the Playboy Mansion stuff the least interesting in the movie. I think because of the thematic stuff we were saying, but also because that's where I think— Well, I said it earlier— that I think this movie somewhat becomes an advertisement for Playboy. I don't mean that in the way that, you know, they're they're saying, like, oh, you should go buy a, a Playboy merch or come visit the Playboy mansion. But, I mean, the only advertisement you need for Playboy is women, scantily clad women, right? <laughs> uh, I suppose so. I mean, in that way, I guess there's a lot of movies that are that are, would qualify as advertisements <laughs> for the Playboy mansion right? or for Playboy. Right. What did, so what did you think about this, like, this Playboy, like Playboy Mansion, being like the um, the goal. Of course, not only for Eugene to get Cindy back, but also for Trevor, just being uh, uh, Tucker, just being you know so indebted to sexu- sexuality. I guess as is set up by the beginning of the movie. <laughs> uh, I thought I thought the uh, his character like being that enthralled with uh, with the Playboy Mansion and with Playboy in general throughout the movie was kind of boring. Yeah, yeah, so the, yeah. That's that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it just it's not a very interesting, I I guess like character motivation isn't exactly the right word, but like character descriptor because like it. I mean, if you want to, like that's that's one of his character traits. I guess yes. you would say. Yeah, uh, yeah. <clears throat> and I I don't think it's a very interesting character trait. So I definitely was not impressed with kind of the the amount like the the quantity of playboy stuff throughout the movie sure beyond that like in terms of the stuff that happens at the mansion like some of that was okay the i mean some of it was just really like again back to the sketch comedy thing like the stuff with uh the centerfold from 2007 or whatever oh yeah sarah jean underwood yep yeah where he's like 
has her dog and then the dog pees in the cup and then that girl drinks it and is like, oh, my God, the pee was so much better. Yes. Oh, um, yeah, without I'm saying like, exactly that. Oh, my God. It, it's, it's kind of interesting and maybe not the best sign that when when you have like a solid like 30 minute section a set piece the playboy mansion being this 30 minute set piece and you have some of those longer gags like you know the dog stuff like the other girl he finds that loves dog him trying to get the dog to pee in the martini glass and then trying to give it beer like when you have those longer set pieces that i am bored by that stuff but i find it ungodly funny that at a certain point tucker walks up to two women and goes Hey, ladies, I'm from South Carolina. Like, that's supposed to be the best pickup line ever. I'm like, that's that's the be- I'm like, that's better than all the dog shit, you know? <laughs> the whole that whole scene with the dog stuff, because of how intense the the woman was that he was talking to, like she was screaming the whole time. And oh, I was yeah. like, I don't I'm not I don't want to see this. Like, I don't want to have to listen to this. <laughs> and then, you know, of course, they make like the obvious joke where she's like that. That other drink tasted better. Like, go get me one that tastes good. And then, uh, so like, that was kind of, eh, whatever. But then we could see him, like, trying to make a dog pee in a glass, which I guess that got back to being a little funny again, where he's just, like, shaking a, a small dog over a glass. The girl comes up and is, is like, what are you doing? And he, like, throws the glass over his shoulder. Yes. And then Sarah Jean Underwood comes up and she's like, Pep, uh, Puddles. That's the, I think that's yeah, the dog's name. And he throws the, and he dog. throws the dog. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that was pretty solid. Sure. Like, that, was sure. A, that was a good climax. I, I love I, that, that once again, I think it's a testament to Trevor Moore, the way he can deliver. You know, I think this goes for Whitest Kids You Know, the, the sketch show as well, that there's some sketches where the idea might not be funny, but the way that it, things are delivered, like the throwing the dog over his shoulder, is very funny. I really like that when he's trying to get the dog to pee in the martini glass, he's like, come on, come on, pee, come on, you know, and he's like moving the dog around, and then... He has the realization that the dog no longer has to urinate, so he says, oh, maybe you're empty. And just <laughs> yeah, the fact no, that's that right. he refers yeah. to the dog as empty, I'm like, that, I'm like, beautiful. I'm like, that's why, that's why Trevor Moore was so funny, that you could say that line and be like, no, I get it. That's his character. He's ridiculous, and it's hilarious. <laughs> Overall, the whole, the whole idea of him interacting with this girl who screams a lot and loves dogs <laughs> and wants to just talk to him all night because he has a dog – like that that was a little bit draining but that end was great. Even the um, scene when he's talking to Sarah Jean Underwood that there's like I mean the, the that does drag on. Yeah, the bit. joke, you know, and I guess of that scene is that, you know, he's Trevor Moore says like, "Oh, I I call the rescue all the time to put the animals down, you know, because some yeah, jerk yeah. loser was digging in my trash, you know." Yeah, yeah, jerk labrador. Yeah, and yeah. And she was like, "You took it to the pound." I I actually thought that was kind of funny where he's like trying to talk to an animal lover and be like, "I actually kill dogs a lot <laughs> like i yes, don't know I, yes. I thought that was pretty funny but then it, uh, I, it definitely drags not like on laugh out loud funny, sure though. no i know what you mean but it, it even drags out it drags on way too long with the thing where she's like oh i got this little guy from the rescue and i'm nursing him back to health he thinks she means like breastfeeding yeah and then you know it, it he's like you know cause he's know like humans I, could nurse I didn't know humans could nurse dogs but then it go he's stumbling over his words and he's doing the whole thing where it's like you know I'm not into that unless you're into that. You know, I mean, women, I've seen women do a lot of things on the Internet, you know, and I'm just like, I'm like, please, come on, get on with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. That that scene drags on the the scene immediately after it drags on. Uh, there There is there is quite a bit there that that could have been left on the cutting room floor. Yeah, yeah. And it really is all in, you know 
kind of oh we we should with his little we have this yeah we get this like trevor moore montage of of interacting with women we get the hey ladies i'm from south carolina i think and he just pauses and <laughs> it's like that's not a conversation starter i love that um that's going to be my go-to pickup line from now on <laughs> but i also really like it that after we cut back to um eugene looking for uh cindy and I, I that stuff's i think boring like he bumps into a waitress and you know he's like have you seen Cindy Whitehall? And she's like, are you a stalker? Are you a stalker? You know, and that comes back with the bouncer. But yeah. it cuts back to Trevor at a certain point. He's just talking to two women, and it just, like, cuts into him in the middle of the sentence saying, so there we are in my car going at it, and she's going, oh, my God, this is the best sex I've ever had. And I'm like, why do people keep telling me this? <laughs> <laughs> So we're going at it there in the driveway, and she's like, oh, my God, this is the best sex I have ever had. And I'm like, everyone keeps telling me that. <laughs> Isn't that weird? I mean, I'm fine with that because Trevor Moore's a great deliverer, you know, and he's going way yeah. over the top and, and that stuff. But then, you know, it becomes just getting, like, all the pieces in motion for our, our characters to finish their arcs, you know. Trevor has to talk to uh, Hugh Hefner. Trevor has to run from firemen. A lesbian has to lick open a lock, of course. Right. Actually, I'm curious what what cut of this movie are there? Multiple cuts of this movie because that joke, I don't. I'm trying real hard and I don't remember that joke. Which which joke? The uh, the the this is the best sex I've ever had oh, joke. Uh, so there is um there is a rated and an unrated. The unrated is three minutes longer, and I'm pretty sure it's what I have. Um, okay. And from what I read, though, I is just there. I, I, I mean, once again, there's not a lot on this movie. From what I read, is that there's just more nudity in the unrated. Oh, I mean, but, there's plenty of nudity in the rated. Oh, okay, okay. So. Yeah, okay, so maybe this, this joke was in the unrated. Um, I couldn't – usually you can find, like, a list of differences, but nobody seems to care about this movie, you know? <laughs> sure. <laughs> but uh, lesbian has to lick open the lock, of course, so Trevor Moore can get to Hugh Hefner. I, I want to talk about Hugh Hefner, and but I think – I want to get to the Playboy thing. So this is something that actually threw me for a loop. Apparently, the initial idea, so when Craig and Moore wrote this screenplay and they were trying to, you know, add their comedy, you know, like we said, probably made it a lot like, you know, anthologized sketch comedy um, because that's what they were used to. The the initial idea was to not use Playboy, but some made up brand as an idea of like more of lampooning or being scathing against Playboy. I would love to know what their ideas were, but. Apparently, test audiences were highly negative on this idea, and so Fox was like, we should just get Playboy, because in 2008 and 2009, this was near the height of the popularity of the e-show Girls Next Door, which was the life of um, Holly, Bridget, and Kendra in the Playboy Mansion, and Hugh Hefner was in that show. So Playboy comes comes into this because of a studio decision, not because of a, a whitest kid you know decision, which I found very, very interesting. Yeah, and so they were going to be critical of, of uh, Playboy originally as well? Yeah, but I, I couldn't find anything in the sense of how, like, in what way or how critical they were going to be. Well, that would have that been more interesting. Exactly, and that's why I think, you know, it's, it's solidified more as we've been talking that this comes across to me more as an advertisement or at least some level of neutrality of, hey, Playboy is this thing and, and it's kind of cool, right? Don't you want to go to a party with a bunch of chicks type of thing? <laughs> it definitely came across to me as like it makes sense that young boys are into playboy i sure, guess sure sure yeah yeah but like beyond that i didn't i didn't really think it was i mean it certainly wasn't negative it was it was neutral to positive yeah yeah 
I, I would love to know more about the, like you said, how critical or in what ways they were going to be critical. I think that, you're right, that would be way more interesting. I think that also would be really cool for a subversion of the, uh, of the, the teen comedy, you know, of like, because even, even the raunchy teen comedy, I think of like Judd Apatow's Superbad, and Superbad is all just like, we gotta get laid, you know, that type of yeah, thing. Yeah. And it'd be interesting to be, like, to see like, oh, this, this playboy, like you said, it's the, you know, the, the thing to idolize for these young boys, and it's like, if that, they were, you know, not, maybe not torn down, but like, you know, taken down a peg or got some shots in at him, it'd be great to see, especially with, you know, with with Kreger and Moore, who can definitely do that stuff. Uh, I was just thinking, you know, you, you had mentioned the, the whole thing about, like, most of these movies are like, oh, I got to get laid. That was something that was uh, kind of uncomfortable at the beginning of this movie is, oh is Eugene is, like, not wanting to have sex. And they even, to the point that they even do, like, the the chaste sermon or... or yes, the uh, abstinence now class, abstinence, I think it's called. Yeah, <laughs> This is a venereal disease, and all the kids start screaming. I li- I thought that was funny. I like that. <laughs> sure, the delivery of of her being like, "We're gonna have sex, or I'm gonna break up with you." Oh yeah, yeah. Came across as kind of like gross to me. After thinking about it, it's like it, it's it makes sense. You know, people have their boundaries, and if you're like, "I'm interested in being sexually active," and you're not, and that's a reason for this relationship to come to an end, if if that's the way it is, mm-hmm. like that, that's all fine. But the way that it came across in that scene to me felt very manipulative oh sure i'm with you uh, yeah you using the um the the eugene's brother thing against him you know it's like he's like i don't want ha- what happened to my brother to happen to us and she's like eugene your brother's crazy you know yeah and it's like clearly you know that that this brother thing means a lot to eugene you know as little as we get of it, it i think it does mean something to him <laughs> yeah well it does and i mean it, his his brother's also the, the reason that his mom is dead apparently because the baby's a, was a crackhead oh yeah Yes, yes. <laughs> because because the mom smoked cigarettes while she was pregnant. Yes, we have uh, so we have to get back to the um the the abstinence now scene and the word crackhead because it's it's pretty. I wanted to know if you picked up on something, but so on the Playboy thing. So they go to Playboy and they're like, "Hey, you know, can we just like?" It's basically kind of like product placement, but I don't really know if it's full product placement. I think it's just an integration. I couldn't find anything about, like, oh, did this movie get, like, financial support or strong financial support from Playboy? I don't really think they did, but that might be something lost to time. The other thing is when Fox goes, you know, oh, we should just get the real Playboy and use the popularity of the girls next door to tie into the marketing in this movie. And, you know, Zach Kreger and Trevor Moore don't have full control. They had to acquiesce to that to to some extent, I'm sure. But then... The only they they get Hugh Hefner, you know Hugh Hefner's been in a bunch of shit. He's been in like Curb Your Enthusiasm. He's no he's like a, a somewhat actor or you know icon type of thing. But then at a, they don't even get like Holly Bridget or Kendra from Girls Next Door. They get Sarah Jean Underwood, who's in like one episode of that show. You know, oh. and and the other thing that I found interesting is if Playboy did have some support uh, of this movie, I I was thinking you know. Maybe this was a Kreger and Moore decision, which was done rightfully so. Why not have, like, a notable Playboy icon, maybe not one of, like, Holly, Bridget, or Kendra, as one of the lead or both of the female roles of this movie? Because Cindy and Candace are played by, um, Cindy's played by Raquel Alessi, and, and Candace is played by Molly Stanton. They have barely done nothing before or since this movie. Like, they are very much unknown. I, so that's what I'm thinking. Well, if you want to use the, the marketing of Playboy in the, for this movie in 2009, late 2008, early 2009, like, why not get, like, a bigger role for one of these female – or a bigger name for one of these female characters? 
Uh, well, I mean, at least for Cindy, the one who becomes a centerfold. Yeah, and also Cindy is only in the beginning and end of the movie. So, like, I get why you don't want to cast Candace. Uh, probably budget reasons, but I get why you wouldn't want Candace to be, like, a Playboy playmate because I think it's, it is a testament from Sarah Jean Underwood's scene in this movie. She is not a good actress. Um, she is very stale, and I don't. I, mean, I can't imagine a lot of these models would be at the level that you need for, like, you know, this character of Candace. But Cindy, you're absolutely right. She's only at the start and the end. Why not have her be someone who is, you know, more recognizable to the masses? That, that, that was, like, my studio idea of it. I like, though, that they didn't really do that because of, it would have just led to, like, stale performances. Yeah. Where you yeah. do need that emotion from Cindy at the end, and I appreciate, you know? Sure. Well, and I'm, I'm surprised to hear that they haven't done things since, because I didn't think their performances were bad or No, anything. no, not at all. I mean, Raquel Alessi as Cindy is fine. I really like Molly Stanton as Candace. I think she's funny in a lot of this movie, you know? Yeah. Um, she, she does great. When, when, she's, um, when they go to the restaurant at the start, you know, and they're all excited about being at a fancy restaurant, I think her, yeah, her little, get... like, mannerisms are great. <laughs> sure. And I, I, I do love that they order a plate of tater tots and some Jaeger. And Jaeger, yep, yep. <laughs> and, and, and then they, they bail on that check because that's obviously going to be very expensive. Right, of course. <laughs> uh, but it, it actually just now occurred to me, these, these people are just now drinking age. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yep, because what, uh, so he, he gets into Coleman prom Senior night. Senior year of high school, yep. presumably. So 17 or 18, four years later, you know, 21 or 22. Yeah, absolutely. So these people, they, they, it could be reasonable that they're this excited about Jaeger. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> to be this excited about, about a plate of tater tots. Maybe they didn't go anywhere after high school. I mean, I guess, I guess they didn't because they, they still live in that same town. Yeah. So I, yeah. But yeah, I mean, so they, they haven't really, Raquel Lessie and Molly Stanton haven't really done much after, like I said before, after this. Um, just some TV shows and stuff like that. I think Candace has the bigger role. She was in a good bit of episodes of some soap opera before this movie. Who know? Like stuff I'm not familiar with. Um, I did find though that Raquel Alessi, uh, two years before this movie, so in 2007, was named number 88 on Maxim's Hot 100. I don't. Re- so Maxim's Hot 100. I'm pretty sure it's still this way, but it was basically like a voting thing. Um, so like readers and and subscribers i guess would vote on the on this list there there's some things i know zach and i've talked about like dr aki ross a completely animated woman from the final fantasy spirits within uh got on one of these lists back in 2001 and that that's definitely like a marketing thing but raquel lessie i I don't know why she got on here but she's number 88 so she made the list uh right above Haley duff and right behind padma lakshmi um padma lakshmi i guess makes sense she was judge a top chef in 2007 but i want i I read through this list ben i always like reading these lists i wanted to mention some because we have some connections from maxim's hot 100 in 2007 and some just fucking insane ones uh number 95 second life girl i don't know if you're aware of this ben but second life was a program in the mid 2000s that would basically let you create like cgi avatars it's the precursor to the programs that are used to make like anime girl vtuber avatars for twitch and stuff like that now okay. um so so they did maxim did it again they put a a virtual woman on this list um mina suvari is at number 73 ben you and i have to remember mina suvari as one of the um robber cheerleaders from sugar and spice <laughs> oh boy 
Um, Evangeline Lilly at number 68 makes total sense. Lost was at the height of its popularity around this time, and she's Kate on Lost. Lena Headey at 64. I mean, I know Lena Headey, uh, who's Cersei from Game of Thrones. Like, I know she'd been around for a while, but I didn't know she was that popular back in 2007. It, who, who is she in Game of Thrones? Cer- Cersei. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, Mandy Moore at number 48. Mandy Moore's always been popular, but of course, uh, a few years before uh, 2007, she was in <laughs> Southland Tales. Had to mention that. Number 32 is Lacey Chabert, who I don't think you and I have talked about, Ben, but she's my favorite of the Mean Girls for Mean Girls, and also the voice of Eliza Thornberry. This one was interesting to me. Number 29, Sarah Silverman. I find oh. that very high up for Sarah Silverman. And, and like I said, this, mo- this list is, of course, it's Maxim. Of course, what, it's going to— What number did you say this is? 29. Sarah Silverman is not attractive. I, I, yeah, and I was, like I was saying, it is, like, it's not supposed to be fully on looks. It's not like everybody's a model. I don't know if Sarah Silverman ever did any models, so there is supposed to be some, like, popularity, like, oh, who's the hot people, hot women in Hollywood? But, like, 29 for Sarah Silverman? I, I remember nothing but, like, abject hate for the Sarah Silverman show when it was on in the mid-2000s. <laughs> um, I mean, my favorite thing that Sarah Silverman has ever been in is in Way of the Gun. Uh, she's oh. in it for like two minutes and she gets punched in the face. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so. Uh, and then the last one I wanted to mention, of course, got to tell you what number one was. And this is just, you can tell that 2007 was a hell of a different time. Number one, Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Probably right before she imploded. Um, if not right before, maybe a year before. Uh, but yeah. So Raquel Alessi did something. Uh, Molly Stanton as Candace is not on that list. Uh, so who knows where they got her from. So, but that was that was my whole sideline about Playboy. I find it fascinating that Playboy wasn't like the hook of this movie from the beginning; that it got added in later on. Um, yeah. I, I'm shocked that you know we didn't get at least cameos from Holly Bridget or Kendra, them being the faces of the girls next door. But whatever, they got Sarah Jean Underwood, so who knows? But the other person they got, Ben, is Hugh Hefner. Uh, interestingly, this is the last screen appearance of Hugh Hefner, so. Hugh Hefner's last film ever is Miss March for the rest of time. It's got to be worth something. Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty cool. He died in 2017, so he was not on a, in a movie uh, for a, a while after this. Um, and he got buried next to Marilyn Monroe, who, of course, was the first Playboy Playmate ever. Uh, ben, I did not know this. I was looking into Hugh Hefner after I read this was his last role. Apparently, he's in Beverly Hills Cop 2. So we oh. got to watch it now, right? <laughs> No, <laughs> definitely not. Nope. Um, Hugh Hefner. Hugh Hefner will not overshadow uh, the uh, the horribleness of Eddie Murphy's laugh in those movies. <laughs> now, this is this is what I think about the Hugh Hefner scene. I, I I watched this. I've had a copy of this on my hard drive for a long time. I just watched it on there. It's not like super HD or anything. It's the usual, you know, like what seven hundred fifty eight hundred gig, you know, rip of a of a ninety minute movie. I'm not saying it's the best quality. Uh, this is why I'm interested to pick your brain if you rented it. I'm sure you rented it in, like, you know, 6K You, you got to mean megs, right? 750 megs? Did I, what, did I say gigs? Yeah. <laughs> okay, my bad. Definitely megs. I was Sorry. like, dear God, you have I, an almost terabyte movie? I have one hard drive just for Miss March. Okay. <laughs> it's right. definitely megs, yeah. Um, so, but I know, I'm sure you rented it in, you know, like 16K, HDR, all that stuff. Maybe even threw on the 3D glasses, something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was actually 32K. Um, oh, perfect. H-H-D-D-R. <laughs> just one R. I don't know. Yeah, anyway. high, high dance, dance revolution, of course. That's right. Um, yeah. In the scene with Trevor Moore and Hugh Hefner, I do not believe they are in the same room at any point. So hear me out. 
the whole thing, the whole scene is shot is um, you know cinematography shot, shot. shot reverse shot absolutely, and that I can't really hold that against it because the whole movie shot reverse shot basically, except when they're like driving in the car. Mm. The most often types of shots that we get are we see one of them alone in the frame, so either you know Trevor Moore um, in the in the frame and you're seeing him talk, or Hugh Hefner in the frame you're seeing him talk. Every single time we see Trevor Moore in the frame, either you are seeing none of Hugh Hefner or you are seeing an elbow or a shoulder with no skin, just the robe on. Mm-hmm. When we get the shots of Hugh Hefner and we see, you know, like uh, there's a lot of shots of Hugh Hefner where we don't see Trevor Moore at all. And I, I was looking at this and I'm like, I don't really know if they're in the same room. We do get a shot. When Hugh Hefner hands Trevor Moore the picture of the busted Kentucky girl, whose name I don't remember, and it looks like Trevor Moore is matted into the shot. Like, not full-on green screen, but, like, you know, they took two, two frames and later, like, a, like a, a matte painting does and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I did not know. I was like, is that – does it look like it's matted in and somehow, like, you know, CGI – it wouldn't be CGI. It'd be, like, just film trickery. Or do I just have a poor quality thing? Did you? What did you think about that scene? And did you pick up any visual cues where you were like, "I don't think Hugh Hefner and Trevor Moore ever actually spoke to each other." Uh, the the only reason I would have to believe that is just because of, like you said, how how much of the shots don't have any parts of the other person in them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That that's the only reason I would have to believe that is is that I don't think that we see any shots of them both in it, which which would make sense, you know if there were timing constraints or whatever, but no, I, I didn't notice the matting or, or whatever look that you described. Uh, but I can't say that I was like watching incredibly closely or anything like that. Sure. Sure. I, it's another thing that I think where, um, you know, take for example, uh, the Sarah Jean Underwood scene with Trevor Moore, that shot reverse shot as well. And there's a lot of instances where we're seeing one character in frame and just the back of somebody else of the other character's head. But there are shots when like Trevor Moore is rambling and you can see, you know, Sarah Jean Underwood's head move and you can see her in profile and you can see her nose and her eyes and stuff. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't look matted to me. It looks like they're actually there and they actually have just, you know, there's a camera behind each shoulder and they blocked it. So you don't see the cameras. So I, I mean, maybe Hugh Hefner was just like, yeah, I'll do this for the playboy image, but you know, Who's this fucking wanna, weird kid? I don't want to talk to him. I don't want to talk to Trevor Moore. Yeah, yeah. I just found it so strange. And and you bring up a good point maybe with timing constraints is that they, you know, I actually don't know if the whole party scene is actually filmed at – I would actually, it, it, sh- it better be filmed at the Playboy Mansion, you know. But maybe mm. there was something where, like, oh, we have to film a huge party scene at the Playboy Mansion. We're going to have all these people in there. Hugh Hefner's like, like, fuck this. I'm not dealing with that. Like, you know, film me on a quieter day or something along those lines, you know. Right. I could see that, but it definitely stood out to me, and I kind of feel that, you know, that's that's something that if the studio, you know, was like, oh, let's just get Playboy involved, Kreger and Moore had to, like I said, acquiesce to that to some extent to get their movie made, get this movie made, at least, you know, at least show, at least have an establishing shot where Trevor Moore gets into Hugh Hefner's uh, lounge or wherever they, they start talking, and, you know, Trevor Moore freaks out like he does, but maybe he gets too overzealous, and he, like, goes to try and, like, shake Hugh Hefner's hand, and you get, like, you know, a flat wide shot of, of both of them, like want Trevor on the left and Hugh Hefner on the right, Trevor walking towards Hefner and Hugh Hefner goes like, you know, no son, don't touch me or something like that. Right. Like yeah. it, at least give Trevor more something like that, you know? <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, it'd be pretty messed up if he if he actually just didn't get to talk to him. Yeah, yeah, especially uh, especially you know I I would imagine that to some extent if I, if I was like I didn't even really want they had they had they were trying to hire Robert Wagner to be a stand-in for a Hugh Hefner type in their original script from what I read, oh. and it's like then if the studio was like no 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 get rid of that we're just putting in Hugh Hefner and you're not even going to get to meet Hugh Hefner I'd be like what the what the fuck you know like come on. <laughs> At least let me be on set the day there. I could talk to him at craft services table or something, you know? Is, is there any chance that any of it had to be reshot and like that could be why? P- quite possibly. That is that is a really a really good point. I think though in the shots of just Trevor in that scene, he does call him Hugh Hefner though, right? I believe so, yeah. And yeah, and I I think if it was right, supposed to He might to, just call him Hefner at some point. Might call him like Hugh or Hef, Hef or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So that's actually a good point, Ben, that it might have been reshoots and when he says, because in the original script, if it wasn't actually Hugh Hefner and they were lampooning Playboy, I think they would have given given him a different name, you know, yeah, um, whatever that name was. But maybe they just overdubbed it because there is another scene in this movie where I think it is very clear overdubbing. Um, so you are absolutely you're absolutely right. This might have been reshoots, and they just filmed Hugh Hefner all by his lonesome doing his lines, and then they just you know used movie magic to make it seem like they were in the same room. And overdubbed the parts they needed to. The overdubbing scene is the abstinence now scene. With Cindy, right? Like her. Yes. Her, it's so, it's very jarring. I thought I thought my video was desynced. <laughs> Not only is it jarring, but if you, if you actually, I, 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 I had a sus, uh, like an idea of this and I suspected it. And I, when I did my research, I actually went back and rewatched this scene. The two times Sydney, Cindy says crackhead in the, in the seminar scene and in the tree scene, which is like I think the next one, you can tell that she is not saying crackhead. Like her, the uh-huh. word crackhead does not sync up with what she's saying. It turns out that she was actually saying retard. Oh, <laughs> and they changed it for sensitivity reasons. So um, could you imagine don't, her? Mer- don't be in, don't be so insensitive. His son's a retard. <laughs> Right. Um, but could you imagine just being like you know? I, I think honestly they should have gone for it. I mean. Fox, I don't know what Fox's sensitivity was like in 2009 that they wanted to overdub it, but, you know, just the idea of her being like, and the mother smoked cigarettes, so the son turned into a retard, you know? It would certainly make a lot more sense than crackhead. Exactly. It would be the one thing where it's like, you know, oh, you'd, you'd go to the abstinence seminar to learn about how, like, fetal alcohol syndrome is a thing and, like, you know, smoking tobacco while with a child is going to do bad things for it, you know? I think that that would be fine for the movie, but from the standpoint of, like, actually doing that in real life, then you're going to have all kinds of questions about the people who, like, have learning disabled siblings. And they'll be like, did my parents smoke? Like, it would just be real bad. <laughs> like, I think I think you should not do that. But, yeah, anyway, no, I think. Have I you think ever you're... have you ever read that green text where it's like something like me, like me and me and little brother only like a year apart. Like every time like mom has friends over, she like puts us in our room together and says, look out for your retard brother. Mom eventually dies. We don't know which one the retard is. <laughs> <laughs> so that made that's me think of. I find, I, always, I find that one hilarious. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's pretty funny. I um. So this is some some shit that I uh, joke about doing if I had kids, but since I just have animals right now, I, I feel fine to do it. Whenever I'm leaving, uh, we'll be like, "Bye, fur people. I love at least one of you." Oh, sure, sure, <laughs> nice. <laughs> you know, things like that. Um, yeah, so. Oh, right on, right on. Yeah, so I, I think those are the, the big things that I found that I, I was shocked by is that Playboy wasn't originally supposed to be involved, and um, 
also the writing exercise thing of them not really wanting to make this movie originally. But I'm glad that they, you know, they they had good fun with it. And, uh, of course, you know, this this can very safely be washed from Zach Kreger's record as a weird, you know, misstep in his comedy days because uh, Barbarian is now, you know, his movie type of thing. Sure. I don't know if I'd say misstep, though. This is just straight up Wise Kids You Know. You're, like, yeah, they you're right. You're right. Yeah. Yep. They should have. They should have just called this. Why did you know the movie? And, <laughs> That'd been pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I anyway. That's, yeah. I just. I feel like. I, I feel like if this was was marketed as like a sketch comedy movie or a movie that's comprised of sketches, like or something like that. Sure. Like, you know, sure. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. Critical misstep, at least. Uh, I also wanted to mention uh, Tom Charity from CNN named this the worst movie of 2009. Oh, I find that hard to believe. Uh, it's it's CNN, you know? What do they know about comedy? <laughs> <laughs> um, I also want to mention his number five worst movie of all of, ni- of 2009, Ghosts of Girlfriends Past, Ben. <laughs> oh, God. He, I, I take nothing he says to be meaningful now. Okay, well, I... I've I, told you why that's a fantastic movie. Yes, yes. But now, now I also have to say, um, I, I do give him some props. Uh, maybe not full props, but his fifth best movie of 2009 is Coraline. So he has some taste. I mean... <laughs> But but the scales are weighted negatively. I'm with you. Absolutely. <laughs> Coraline's good. I see. Yeah, but I'm I'm inclined to believe it. Maybe should have been better than fifth. Like maybe he just yeah still yeah. Sucks. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, I I think uh, as I uh, before I, I want to throw to you some other other funny moments. Um, there there was one thing I wanted to mention that made me uh, right at the beginning. Uh, even earlier, even I'm with you. You mentioned it before that Cindy, you know, and and uh, Eugene having that whole like you know her wanting to have sex and stuff like that and belittling his brother. Um, definitely a little weird, you know, definitely uncomfortable. Uh, even before that, I was like, oh no, am I not going to like this movie? And 2009 was certainly a different time. Eugene and Tucker as young kids talking about young girls, you know, the, uh, oh, look at the ass on that one. You could bounce a quarter off that turd cutter as we have just a shot of a little girl (laughs) in frame. And I'm like, no, no, I no, I'm like I do not like this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's that's fair. I uh, I can't say that I was paying enough attention at that moment. Like there were certain parts of this movie that I definitely remember. Okay, and so I I like I like looked away from the screen or something at that point. Sure. So I didn't I didn't remember that it was a small child he was talking about. I figured he was just like talking about I don't know a high school baseball team at least not like a middle school they are just 100 percent in middle school at recess it seems you know that's rough (laughs) yes that's pretty bad (laughs) that's where i was like oh oh no but thankfully they don't they don't spend a lot of time with them as kids you know there's two scenes right at the beginning once they're all grown up once trevor moore's just being trevor moore in senior of high school and saying like hey candace i heard you went on the pill i'm like this is better i know they're all of age i'm fine with this you know (laughs) that i mean that's some pretty Pretty funny and fucked up shit to say to somebody. Oh, like, absolutely. <laughs> I, I heard you and I, like I, the insinuation that she's a slut because she's on the pill, like all that stuff. Like that's it's it's just one of those things that when I was in high school, I would have found it funny. Uh, obviously, <laughs> now I it, I I can say all the things like, oh, it's it's a misguided idea, whatever. But comedy often is. Yes, yes. Um, this movie, especially, I think you know, with some of the uh, some of the things it does, I, I would use, for example, the running gag of uh, Tucker just not understanding epilepsy. <laughs> 
Yes, that would not fl- have flown today. Probably. Exactly, uh, but, but but it's pretty funny, dude. I'm all about it. I mean, the time uh, dude, when he's telling don't a be story, an ass, it's and, a condition. Yes, yes. <laughs> but in the middle, when they're running from Candace and they got to get out of town, and he's telling the story, and of course the story is like the flashback intercut with them talking in the car, and there's a certain point where he's like, I don't know. I guess that Candace just really hates strobe lights. <laughs> she has the stupid hatred of strobe lights, and then Eugene says, "Dude, she has epilepsy. <laughs> strobe lights can cause." seizures he's like see that's stupid stupid (laughs) (laughs) very funny you know blindingly oblivious and and very funny absolutely (laughs) i think there's one other running gag that i wanted to highlight but was there anything else we didn't talk about that you wanted to highlight or moments uh so so some of the stuff uh this is this is like straight up me out of high school comedy uh (laughs) incredibly insensitive uh but in a in a way that the delivery makes it funny while he's talking to Hefner about the busted girl from Kansas or whatever, mm-hmm. he says something al- along the line. Like Hefner says something along the lines of about her being like the first bunny or whatever. And Tucker's like, well, you wouldn't put her in, a, in your magazine, oh, yeah. right? And he's like, she died when she was 18. And he says, oh, thank God. <laughs> That's right. Yes. <laughs> and I that was that was the funniest shit to me. Oh, yeah, that was um, good. Yeah. <laughs> here. Look at this. Oh, gross. That's Gertrude von Brauer. What's wrong with her eye? It's dead. Ah! Gertrude was my next door neighbor. Our childhood friendship blossomed into a romance by high school. <gasps> Half no! Tucker, yes. Gertrude von Brauer was the love of my life. But she's like the worst looking person I have ever seen. Give me back that photograph. Gertrude died when she was 18 years old. Oh, thank God. I'm reminded of this time that I I was in math class and this this girl that sat near me was wearing sunglasses. And we were like, why are you wearing sunglasses? And she she had a black eye. And so she tells us, she's like, oh, you know, I have... I have a black eye, and we're like, "What happened?" And she was like, "Well, well, Jesse like punched me in the face," and I, we were like, "You know, tell us more." And she's like, "Well, you know, I, I spilt orange juice on on a letter she cared about, and she hit me in the face. Now I have this black eye." And me and my buddy looked at each other like, "That's really fucked up. Like, why would you spill orange juice on someone's letter?" <laughs> right you know, on. The, the good old switcheroo. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> But but yeah the the oh thank God like I'm just reminded of that like really insensitive definitely. type of humor that definitely got me busted in the gut uh, and then I think the other thing the, the recurring uh, firemen throwing axes at their car oh yeah and a great attention to set design for the entire time they have their car all those axes stay in the car yes like even like yeah. just two scenes later you'll be driving and you can see the, the axe like head in the car roof you know <laughs> right. Uh, and, and yeah, for some reason they never removed them. But but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in, in terms of uh, like you said, continuity, like the, the axes are there, and then there, and then later there's more axes, uh, and all, all that was pretty funny. <laughs> Absolutely, I uh, I found the uh, it may not maybe not really a running gag because it only happens twice. But the way 
Tucker interacts with Juanita the nurse in this movie. Oh, sure. Um, I, I really like the fact that, of course, the Eugene is brought out of his coma because uh, Tucker whacks him in oh, the face with God, a baseball the bat. bat. Trick. We yes. didn't even talk about the bat trick. The bat trick. Oh, the bat trick comes in at the end in a very fantastic way. Um, but I love the fact that, you know, he gets whacked in the face. He wakes up from the coma and, you know, they're all freaking out. Uh, Eugene has no idea what's going on. I think then Juanita comes in and she starts screaming and Trevor Moore just goes, Juanita, I brought him back. I told you the bat trick would work. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but then it's, it's paid off great when they have the montage because when Eugene realizes that Cindy's been paying for all the medical bills, she's like, Tucker never told you this? And it cuts back to a bunch of times where Tucker was not listening to this information. And yes. there's stuff where, you know, Tucker's just sitting there. Mr.'s girlfriend. You're like reading, you know, a porn magazine, a Playboy probably. And Juanita's like, you cannot do this for your, por- it's not your porn room. And he goes, Juanita, I don't speak Spanish, Andale. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then there's, there's another shot where Cedric Yarborough, the doctor, is saying like, thank God this child, this man has a woman who cares about him enough to pay for all the medical bills. And in the background, Trevor Moore is standing on a chair with a blow up doll, fighting Juanita, who's trying to take it from him. And the only thing they oh, say. Oh, it's not a chair, it's the wheelchair. It's a wheelchair. Okay, perfect. And, and they're fighting over the blow up doll. And like Juanita's screaming and yelling at him, and Trevor Moore just goes, "Juanita, I am trying to do something." <laughs> <laughs> Fucking killed me, man. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's some pretty good shit. Uh, <laughs> because we mentioned it, like we have to talk about the bat trick a little more. Um, you know, that scene starts with with basically uh, Eugene. Like we see the bat leaving his face. Like we hear the yes. the thump, and we hear the bat see the bat leaving his face. Um, and then it gets around and Tucker tells, tells Eugene why nobody's there. Like his dad took a job in Florida. His, uh, his girlfriend moved away to college. He's like, why are you still here? Uh, So he's just like, you know, why did everyone leave me? He's like, dude, it took me like four years to think of that bat trick. You've been in a coma a long time. (laughs) So four years to think of the bat trick. That's funny. But then, uh, one, something I love and something that I say to this day (laughs) Um, he's like, why are you still here? He's like, because we're homies, bro. Lock it up. Lock it up. <laughs> that is really funny. Once again, great delivery with how like lighthearted he gives that. You know, because we're homies, bro. Lock it up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I actually I, I guess I misremembered it because I have been saying because we're homies, bro. Lock it down for a long oh, time. Okay. Okay. So so now that I've re-seen this movie, I'm just like I don't remember it being lock it up at all. But okay. Anyway, okay. Right on. Now now you got the update. Absolutely. Um, I also really like in that in his like coming to and waking up from the coma when uh, Cedric Yarbrough shows up as the doctor and Cedric Yarbrough is such a funny dude. Um, he's on he, like the all of Reno 911. He's, he's such a good character when he's leaving the uh, hospital room and he turns around at the doorway and he goes, oh, Tucker, off the record. I like his I like style. style. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess with the with the bat trick and Cedric Yarbrough, um, I now that I don't know if this is a difference between the two versions. Did you get the credit scene with? Yes. Oh my yeah. god! Where, he, where he's hitting uh, Crystal in the head with a bat. An absolute genius credit scene. Like yeah. I love that because it's so funny. Because you think that it's like you know he's it's shot in and Cedric Yarbrough is talking in a way that it's like like a medical documentary or something that he's like showing it off yeah. to some to like the students and to anybody who might watch it or something like that. You know, absolutely. 
And he just whacks this patient who we don't see in the head a few times. And he, there's a point where he turns to one of the interns or residents, I guess, and says, like, I swear I've seen this work before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he's presenting uh, it like it's like research back. Yeah. 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 It definitely felt like very academic. And then the reveal that it's Crystal who fell off the bus and right. she grabs the bat. And not only the reveal that the bat trick worked again, um, but, you know, that she's like, Tucker Clay, you're a dead man. Mm. I'm like, I, I just I find something that's such a perfect little button for this movie. Um, definitely better than the uh, Eugene is bad at sex button, which is the one right before it. You know, <laughs> um, maybe the Eugene is bad at sex thing was not in the uh, version I had. Oh, so is the last thing the, the way the the movie ends in the version I had is they're doing the shots downstairs. And he like puts the shot glass down, and then the it cuts to credits. Oh, okay. So, I okay. I never knew this. Okay, maybe we're gonna be the first people to document these differences, Ben. <laughs> um, but yeah. So after uh, he does the shots, Eugene is like, "I'm gonna go upstairs and have sex with my girlfriend," and it cuts to them in like you know like eugene just straight up laying on top of her like really obnoxiously grunting and going am i doing good am i doing good and she's like yeah yeah eugene you're doing great and he's like okay because i'm trying really hard um, and then he and then he like when he starts to orgasm he poops his pants and it cuts the credits oh good <laughs> ben's like I'm okay glad, i could I'm, do without that one <laughs> I'm, I'm glad they took that out yeah no that's not in uh some of the oh, wow. okay okay Right on. Yeah, I've only ever seen this version I have on my hard drive, so I have the unrated. <laughs> I think the other thing that we should mention is uh, one of the um, one of not, maybe not one of maybe, probably the strangest thing in this movie. Um, the thing that I remember certainly from seeing this years ago, uh, the reveal that Horsedick.mpeg has no genitals and needs to oh, urinate okay. through straws. Yep, that is uh, that is certainly fucking insane. And um, I'll give it to them that they they had to. You know, maybe not Craig Robinson because it's just a close-up shot of his waist. We don't really see him in full, I think, with it. Um, but they made that prosthetic, and they made the choice to have some liquid drip out of it when we get the two-second shot of it, you know? <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, pretty, pretty fucking insane, I have to say. <laughs> Definitely disturbing. Tough to look at. Yes. I, also, I do really like when, um, you know, she starts uh, – Cindy starts to say, like, you know, horse dick – wasn't born with genitals. You know, he has to pee through a straw or whatever. And his cronies, like his, his, the guys in his group, are saying something like, you know what? I never actually seen horsedick.mpeg be with a hoe. And Craig Robinson very quickly goes, man, why would you want to see that? Um, but then it continues, and the guy goes, man, fuck it. Show me your penis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah that, that was great. Um, just very bluntly, they just got to get, get right there type of thing. <laughs> Horsedick doesn't have a dick. Bitch! You promised! What? Horstick wasn't born with genitalia. He has to pee through a straw. This is going crazy. Hey, everybody, go to, to the horsedick.mpeg party bus. Come on, it's a party! Wait a minute. What about all those girls you banged? Yeah, dog. What about all those girls? You know what? I never actually seen Horstick make it with a hoe. Do you want to see that? Never thought I'd say this. Fuck that. Let me see your penis, dog. Well, I show you shit, man. All y'all are fucking What you doing? Shit. No! What you doing? Were there any other jokes or moments that didn't work for you? I mean, other than, like, we mentioned the toilet humor and stuff like that. Were there any other set pieces? I mean, you know, we haven't mentioned the, um, like, there's the whole they burn down a motel type of thing. Yeah, and we, we haven't really covered the 
the voicemail enough. I don't think. Uh, oh, where oh, where yeah. he goes on this like, I like dating you. We're not exclusive. I don't know why you called me your boyfriend <laughs> in, in the thing. Uh, I, and then he's just like, I wanted you to, to know I'm not mad at I'm you. I'm not mad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope you're not going to be a dick about this, which I think is the funniest. It, that is that is really good. Absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, because because she, I'm pretty sure that this is like one of the cases in a Grey's Anatomy episode where, like, somebody has epilepsy and, like, bites someone's dick and they get stabbed in the face of the fork. Okay. okay. Uh, I don't know if it came before or after this movie, but I'm fairly certain that that is uh, a case in an episode of Grey's Anatomy. Sure. But, but yeah, I, I can't say that I would do anything different. I mean, yeah, uh, th- that's actually a good point. In that flashback when um, Candace has, you know, chomped down onto his penis, we do get a wide shot of Trevor Moore with, a, like, a, with like a dummy latched onto his groin and he's swinging back and forth like get off get off you know um and then he has that might be a difference in the versions oh, again oh shit okay man <laughs> in in the version i have we just see him like standing i think we see like her hair and he's like he just it like shows him like double over in pain and then oh wow okay there is a full wide shot of the room with a dummy like latched on oh boy. to his penis and he's trying to shake it off type of thing <laughs> Okay. Yeah, that's not in the version I had, I'm pretty sure. Uh, oh, man, okay, okay. Yeah, fucking internet just said there's more nudity in the unrated. And I was like, okay, you know. <laughs> the the motel thing, the only thing I wanted to mention about the motel scene, I mean, that is very much just like a, uh, oh, they got to just keep it going, you know, and, and stuff like that. Um, well, I, we also we do get the the fervent defense of the Playboy Mansion from, uh, yes, from Tucker, yes. which that's kind of... And I think that leads into the thing where, you know, Tucker's like, you know, oh, when we get there, you know, when we walk into the Playboy Mansion, you just can't go up and ask women to have sex with them, you know? He's like, you have to learn, like, elegance and class, and and it, there's a you few... Have to, you have to ask them, uh, like, what their... <laughs> what their what, interests what, are, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, what what's their their favorite animal, or, like, what what's an embarrassing moment they've been through? It's like, he's clearly just asking questions from the interviews. <laughs> yes, yes. And, um, and so, there's a few moments in that where, you know... What, Tucker throws Eugene the robe, and he's talking about, like, you know, you'll probably be offered one of these when you enter, and there's stuff— Oh, yeah, we'll be, we'll be assigned one, I think yes, he says. Yes, yes, and, and Eugene is saying stuff along the lines of, he's like, okay, Tucker, you teach me about elegance, you know? And every time you have, you have this back and forth of where you'll see Tucker just, like, really—he's the expert on it, you know, in his mind— and it cuts back to, to Zach Kreger, and Zach Kreger is very clearly, like, smirking, you know? Uh, like in the in the context of the movie, I really like how good of friends the two of them are, even though there's no reason they should be seemingly um, yes. other than just tradition. Um, but it also that that shot of like Zach Kreger smiling is was just very wholesome to me. And it's like these two dudes were also like best friends for their entire lives in real life. And they must have had so much fucking fun making this movie together. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Uh, very cool, very, very, very cool. Uh, but then also other in the other dynamics they have, I really like. Like when Trevor Moore is telling the story about Candace when they're in the car, and he will pause at certain points and just look at Eugene and Zach Kreger's just like, okay, I like he's like, and then she starts to go downtown if you know what I mean. And Trevor just Trevor Moore just stops and Zach's like, I I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and. <laughs> It's a good dynamic. It's a good. It's a good buddy dynamic for sure. <laughs> uh, anything else you wanted to mention? I mean, 
I think uh, I think that's everything I had from the funny or the not funny or anything like anything else that you can think of. Uh, no, I think I think we've covered a, a good bit of the jokes. I I'm sure we're missing some because this this movie does have a lot of jokes yes. in it. Uh, whether the ones we're missing are good or bad, I could not say. Um, <laughs> right. But no, I think th- I think those are like the memorable things that I that I uh, have to talk about. So yeah. So before we get to our questions, then uh, I I would personally not count. Um, the Civil War on Drugs as a movie uh, because of the way it was presented. Even though it probably was shot as a, as a whole arc, I'm not really sure. I don't know too much about the background of uh, the Civil War on Drugs. Um, I know that you can, only, you can only also watch it in parts on YouTube. I think last time I checked, the, you, they've, they've never released like a full connected version of it. Um, so I personally don't think I would consider that a movie. I would consider that more of like a sketch comedy thing type of type of idea. But Ben, I think it's pretty safe for both of us. Uh, Zach Kreger's directorial ranking. <laughs> number two, Miss March, number one, Barbarian. <laughs> or, or have you changed your ideas in this last hour no, and a half? No, I mean, un- unless it's specifically uh, the ranking of his comedies, in which case... Miss March is a clear winner. <laughs> then it's just Miss March, yeah. Um, I don't know, dude. We talked about it on on Patreon. That barbarian, that's that was pretty damn funny. <laughs> that's true. No, I uh yeah, it's it's uh, there's no way I could differ and and be serious about it. It's yeah, definitely yeah. Barbarian is better. I than, am so excited. I'm so glad that we re- we went back and revisited Miss March um, just to now see this kind of connection uh, from what Zach Kreger was doing with the sketch comedy stuff in this movie. Like you said, very sketch comedy, uh, you know, inspired oriented stuff like that for, for to Barbarian, which we love. I know we said it also on the Patreon, but I cannot wait to see what he does next. Yeah, I fucking hope he does something um in the same vein as Barbarian, though, to be honest, because that sure, was sure. some dope-ass shit. Absolutely. And I want to see what else he can bring to that genre. And I also think that it is guaranteed that he will get to make something else because... Bar- because of how successful Barbarian's yeah, been? Yeah, Barbarian made an insane amount of money. I think made well over its budget back. That movie cost barely anything in marketing because the whole marketing was just like... Almost non-existent. I know we talked about that on the Patreon, but then the actual like gimmick of the marketing was like not telling you what the movie was actually about. So that movie must have cost the marketing must have cost so little that everything it made was after its budget production budget must have been like near profit. It was in mm-hmm. theater. It was in theaters for like three fucking months or something. Like it, it's insane to me. <laughs> uh, yeah, last we talked, it was still in theaters. Yeah, yeah. I- it's now on HBO Max, um, so yes, now it, it's good. It's going to get that attention. But there is no way. Like, this is this ain't a, a Henry Selleck thing or anything like that. They're Shane Black. Like Barbarian this. is still showing at the AMC theaters. Near Holy shit. There's, there's one show time a day, but... Hey, that's still something. And it's, yeah. if, if, if they're still playing it, that means they're still getting butts and seats, which is wild. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so there is no way he he is in the furthest thing from director jail. I think that he is in like the the Jordan Peele light position, like light is in like L I T E. Um, after Jordan Peele made Get Out, where uh, Fox or maybe a different studio because Fox is technically owned by Disney, so Barbarian is a Disney movie. Um, oh maybe another studio like a Warner Brothers or you know a Paramount, they'll say, "Hey, we want to throw money at you. Can you do something?" Like if you did Barbarian for like Fox and put that movie in theaters for three months and it's still in theaters and it made hand over fucking fist, do that for us. Take the money. I yeah. think that's inevitable. I just can't wait to see what it is. 
Yeah. I, I hope you're, I mean, I, I, I certainly hope you're right. Cause I, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I absolutely want to see whatever, whatever it is he has to bring uh, creatively to the scene. Cause I, I think that he, after barbarian, I think he's a, a fucking master. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh my God. One of the most, one of the most ridiculous experiences I've ever had in theater twice of being that fucking tense during a movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man, Zach Kreger, we dig you. That's that's some good stuff. Uh, I guess then, Ben, that brings us to our questions or cinemas in late night. I think this one this was pretty easy for me. I'm gonna go no to cinemodities. I think specifically because of being the confirmation I got with the writing exercise thing, and I think it does kind of fall into the category of yet another raunchy comedy. Even though this is one of the ones I really enjoy, um, it, it it doesn't really hit anything odd for me. Uh, late night though, absolutely. Like if this is a movie that you know. I'm thinking somebody, you know, knows white as kids, you know, and likes them and had never seen this movie. Definitely check it out. I think that the more uh, likely avenue, I should say, in these days is, you know, maybe someone's seen Barbarian. You get to sit. I think I said this in the Patreon, too. You get to sit down and say, okay, but 13 years before Barbarian, this guy made this, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, Can you believe that? Right. Uh, So I'm going I'm going to notice it and and then a hard absolutely for late night. What are you thinking? You know, it's it's. Uh, I feel like you stole my punchline. <laughs> Pretty much the same thing. Um, it's not odd, as you said. You know, mm-hmm. it's another raunchy comedy, um, and there are some things about it in terms of like the style of humor and such that I that I do like that I think are different than than a lot of other raunchy comedies in terms of that like very insensitive kind of humor as opposed to yeah. like I don't know. Sometimes it's just like incredibly stupid kinds of humor or incredibly dirty kinds of humor. Sure, I like the very insensitive kind of humor better. Not not that that is entirely prevalent throughout the movie, although mo- a lot of Tucker's character is that in part because he doesn't understand anything. Um, <laughs> yeah. So maybe in that regard, it's like it's an oddity in that realm, but it is so squarely in that realm that I can't call it an oddity in general. Sure. I'm, I hear you. Yep. But then in terms of late night, like, yeah, sure. I'd throw this on like. If if this was on TV and somebody was like, "Do you want to watch Miss March?" or, or, you know, we came across it on on cable while looking for something to watch, I'm like, "Fuck yeah, let's watch this." Yeah, let's, absolutely. Let's check out some some uh, some crazy shit. <laughs> Ain't nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and I actually like I like boiling it down to let's check out some crazy shit because you could say that to both this and Barbarian. <laughs> absolutely, uh, and and you better bet I would. Yes. Okay, I guess that then brings us to snacks and the restaurant. Um, you mentioned it earlier. I had a little play on it, but tater tots and Jaeger. My thought is that we don't serve them separately. It's basically like Jaeger on the rocks, but instead you tell of ice me it's cubes, a sloppy steak. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, no, I like that. I like the idea of pouring Jaeger on tater tots. But I was thinking <laughs> you'd ask for Jaeger on the rocks, and you'd get you know instead no. of ice cubes, oh, tater tots. <laughs> you got to call it Jaeger on the tots. Jaeger. There you go. Ben, you are good with the tot stuff. Remember Tomb Taters? <laughs> you got the tater tots down at the restaurant. You're like our, you're like our um, tater tot sommelier at the restaurant. You know, <laughs> that's that's pretty funny. I actually have a friend whose name is Muter, but I call him Mutato and things like that. Um, and he he recently uh, informed the group that he's having a child, and so I told him that he's going to have a Mutator tot. <laughs> ah, perfect. <laughs> anyway, uh, apparently. I, I just get potato-based humor. It's your wheelhouse. <laughs> it's, it's a weird wheelhouse to have, but I'll, I, you know, I guess if I'm lucky to have a wheelhouse. The other combo that I had from this movie uh, 
is uh, horny goat weed and NyQuil. Because, of course, um, Trevor Moore is driving, and he gets he says he doesn't need to sleep uh, because he ate a bunch of horny goat weed from the gas station. And then he ends up falling asleep at the wheel, as he says later, <laughs> because he got so wired uh, from the horny goat weed, he drank a bunch of NyQuil. <laughs> yeah, he, he said he, he got too gender too jittery yes, so he started down yes. in some night well <laughs> and i find that very funny because uh, one of course i I'm, I'm sure you have seen it you know we're, we're not too far off in age but when i grew up i remember back in new york at gas stations and bodegas i would see just right on the counter horny goat weed you know yeah oh yeah so and and i get the joke 2009 i think that makes sense it's like oh i, I bought some horny goat weed you know it was like right there on the counter he also had to buy the NyQuil. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So he had some he had some other use for the NyQuil, I would imagine, not to just take the edge off of the horny goat weed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's the kind of guy that likes Jaeger and Tater Tots. Like, maybe ah, he just likes the occasional NyQuil. That's how it goes. That's how it goes. Um, I actually uh, was interested. That's the way she goes. I, that's the way she goes. Um, I have not thought about horny goat weed in probably 15 years until I watched this movie for this recording. I'm, I don't go to, like, places where I, you know, see horny goat weed i think or at least it's, it definitely can't be as prevalent as it was back in the day i i think it's only next to those little roses in glass tubes that are just an excuse <laughs> to sell a glass pipe to a crack crackhead sure sure uh yeah i think it's the only place you can find horny goat weed now. uh but i like i said i hadn't thought about it it was like a blast from the past i was like oh yeah horny goat weed um i looked i, I was like what the fuck is horny goat weed um horny goat weed is a of course the packages you see in gas stations are a combination of things but the the main ingredient is this thing called epimedium, uh, E P I, and then the word medium. Uh, I guess okay. it's pronounced epimedium, which is a flower. So it's it's you know some type of you know herb. It has a bunch of different names that I didn't write down, but there's actually like a list of other names for it. Um, but the basically the thing I wanted to find was like, does it do anything for you? And um, the overwhelming consensus after all these years of seeing it at gas stations is that its clinical clinical effects as a men's health supplement are basically unknown. Nobody's ever really tested it on anything. <laughs> So I, it's, it's probably like one of those things where it's like if it does anything, it just like increases your blood pressure. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> um, like equivalent to eating a spoonful of salt or something. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like you, you do you do just a tablespoon of salt and you're like, oh, I'm raring and ready to go, you know. <laughs> But it doesn't dry you out the same way salt does, and that's why it's uh, so popular. Horny goat weed. So horny goat weed and NyQuil. That's my that's my pitch for the restaurant. <laughs> Solid. Uh, I'm down. I, I like that. I think that we need some kind of like a – it's going to be like a ride of some kind, or it's more like a challenge, I guess. Okay. And and the challenge is that we we get the contestants who want to uh, to join in, we get them all like some kind of starting position – and we give them less than $100, and they have to try to get all the way around the restaurant. <laughs> okay. I like that. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> all, I, li- I like also saying all around the restaurant because the restaurant is infinite. So Yeah, know. exactly. exactly. <laughs> so they have to get – you know, they, they go off in one direction and can't double back and have to get back to where they started. Sure. That's okay, the... okay. Um, I, I dig that. I dig that. Also, yeah, you, you reminded me of that very, very great visual gag in this movie where they're like, Trevor Moore is like, do you want to get something to eat? How much money do we have? $7. That should be enough to feed us. Cut to toll, six seventy five. <laughs> Cut back to Trevor Moore. Looks are like, you mad? Are you mad? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm mad. <laughs> yes, um, definitely that. Uh, I think that we also need axe throwing you know the way it is now where you can go to a 
someplace and probably by alcohol and, yes. and throw axes. Yep. But it's fireman axes. Okay. And perfect, the perfect. targets are cars. I like that. I like that. That's definitely like a. Um, I, I'm sure we've said it somewhere else on here. I have no idea when, but some type of um, what are those rooms? They're not called. They're not called break rooms, but it's like a room you can pay to go break shit to like vent. You know. They might. They're rage rooms. Rage rooms. That's it. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what that makes me think of. Where we can just you know throw axes, fireman axes at a car as like a rage room type thing. <laughs> I actually have taken part in a fundraiser that was. The the fire department got a a junked car, and they put it in the parking lot of a college, oh, and that's cool. they they let you pay like I don't know it, it was for charity, so sure. it was overpriced. It was like a dollar per hit or something, and you just like are hitting this thing with like a sledgehammer or an axe. Nice, or, you know they had, nice. they had multiple different implements, and you got to pick. <laughs> um, yeah, that was pretty, it was pretty fun though. I like that. I like that. I also like the phrase. Um, it was for charity, you know. You say something, and then we just at the ended up with, but it was for charity, you know. <laughs> we yes. just we we're just breaking a car in the parking lot with a sledgehammer. Why are you doing that? It was for charity. <laughs> That's right. I didn't have any like events or challenges like that, but I like those. I, I was, I, I also was thinking of like performances. One horsedick.mpeg is a performer in the restaurant. I mean. I would love. Yeah. We have a stage and we have other performances going on. I would love for you know just horsedick.mpeg to uh, to give us a concert. I think that would be wonderful. Um, and then also for the sin emodities portion of the restaurant, the kids portion, abstinence seminars, which I would imagine are just long slideshows of like of venereal disease, venereal diseases, <laughs> and the miracle of birth type of thing. <laughs> this is a venereal disease. I have a oh, thousand yeah. or <laughs> whatever. I, I, I think she said I might have written that down. But yeah, that's that great like uh, that callback to that. You know, this is mm. a venereal disease. I have thousands, Eugene. You're, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I like the idea that they like stack in some way. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Got to catch them all. You know, that's right. <laughs> Anything else for the restaurant, Ben? Gonna hurt the syphilis. No, I, I think I think that's plenty. I think. You know, we're adding stuff to the restaurant all the time. It gets costly, all these new ideas. It does, it does. Until we until we know the profitability of these. I, I think we should probably take it easy. Okay, okay, right on, right on. Well, then that brings us to how are we up... Actually, no, before that, if you like what you heard and want to hear us talk about Barbarian, Dude, Where's My Car, and a bunch of the other shit that we mentioned, um, it's on our Patreon, patreon.com slash cinemodities. Uh, not only will you get access to all these episodes, but you will support the podcast, keep us doing what we're doing, um, and have a good time doing it. Um, if you want to harass us about uh, your thoughts, if Hugh Hefner and Trevor Moore were in the same scene, I, I didn't have a good one, uh, then you can email us <laughs> at cinemodities at gmail.com. Started uh, talking before I was ready. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, ben, anything you want to pitch about the Patreon or anything else? Uh, no, but I think we should definitely start putting it at the beginning of the episodes. Uh, this episode brought to you by the Patreon. Oh, sure, sure. I, I'm trying yeah. to I'm trying to get references into it earlier. Yeah, that, well, we should just like should throw a straight up advertisement, like one right at the beginning, one one, one two and a half minutes in, you know, <laughs> every every three or four minutes after that. Uh, yeah, you thought YouTube ads were bad. Get ready. Get ready for the same ad over and over. You know? That's right. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, then, uh, I mentioned it earlier. Of course, I think we should end this episode by playing I'm a Fuck a White Bitch. Uh, just called White Bitch by Horsedick.mpeg in reverse. You gotta see if you can find 
Suck that, suck my dick while I fuck your ass. Well, the- well, Ben, I'm glad I'm glad you say that because earlier I mentioned that I was able to find the studio version, an actual recording from Horsedick.mpeg, uh, Craig Robinson on YouTube. Um, while we were talking about our questions and stuff, I, uh, I I gave a shot in the dark. Miss March, music from the motion picture, is available on Spotify. The last two songs, as credited to Horsedick.mpeg, are White Bitch and Suck My Dick. Nice. So not only can if you if you're on Spotify, you can listen to these. Uh, you're there on YouTube then uh, for sure. But also, Ben, like I said at the start, if I put one of these songs on my top fifty, I can actually put it in the playlist that I put on Spotify on my top fifty. <laughs> I would get to make my friends at a certain point listen to ninety seconds of "I'm a fuck a white bitch." I'm a fuck a white bitch. <laughs> that I would people would be like, Rob, what is this? <laughs> Then you'd be like, I'm a fuck a white bitch. That's what it is. Is that hard to understand? I'm a fuck a white bitch. Well, I guess, Ben, the last thing to say is because uh, we're homies, lock it down. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go.